Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It is 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and the Blues win over the Flyers in Philadelphia. This is where it all started. Does this song not just put the biggest smile on your face? Oh, man. Feels like we're going to win a Stanley Cup. Let it breathe for a second. There you go. I mean, just hearing those notes, Randy, it, it makes me happy. It makes me happy. Well, it should. And, heck, Jordan Bennington got a win. You know, Jordan Bennington needed that last night, and it was great to see him bounce back and have a performance like that. Hopefully this is a catalyst that he can use to get back to the 50 that we're used to seeing. But, Randy, it does feel a little poetic. I got to tell you, the team back in Philly, Mm -hmm. Jordan Bennington between the pipes, him being a main reason that the team goes on to have a victory. Now, obviously, the state of the team is in a much better spot now than they were back in 2019. But it just feels like all the stars are kind of aligning for Jordan Bennington to to turn the corner here. 4-1 was the final last night. The Blues and Bennington playing very well early on before Braden Shen broke a scoreless tie 11 50 into the game. Now snap it ahead. They get it from Shen to Cairo with a head of steam. He's in. That one's on goal. Save made, rebound, and score. They're going to wave it off. Ivan Barbashev deflected that one in, and I have no idea why that was waved off. After review, the puck did cross completely the red light. The red line, therefore we have good to go. Yeah, it went all the way to the back of the net. <laughs> good hockey goal, eh? All the way to the back of the net, confirmed. <laughs> so Shedder gets his 15th of the year. The Blues up one nothing after a period, one nothing after two. Oscar Lindblom scoring for the Flyers 8-0-9 into the third period. So it's tied 1-1 and mere seconds after that goal, 42 to be exact. Behind the back pass to Thomas. Centers, they score! Tarasenko gets it back for the Blues. 11.09 to go in the third period. The Blues back on top, 2-1. to one. 
And Barbashev and Brandon Saad both had empty netter goals. Barbashev is 16th, Saad his 17th, and the Blues rolled to a 4-1 victory. Shots 26 apiece. I believe they said on the broadcast last night that the Flyers were 121-4 when trailing, so you had a good feeling when the Blues got on the board first that they would go ahead and take home that victory. But again, back to Jordan Bennington. Strong effort from 50 last night. I believe it's his first win since road win since the Winter Classic after a handful of games that he certainly would have liked to have back. It was nice to see him looking like Jordan Bennington again, especially early on when they had some chances and he was kind of thrown into the fire mm-hmm. and had to make two big stops early on. That's the type of thing that will get the confidence back that he needs. And since mid-January, this has become Ville Husso's net. So what's it been like for Bennington to not be playing the last couple of weeks? Um, yeah, you know, it's not how I would draw it up, but, uh, you know, it's it's about building that resiliency back and, and uh, just taking it one day at a time and, and going to work and, um, you know, believe in yourself and, and you want to be there for the boys, right? And um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just focusing one day at a time and, and when you get in there, um, just play your game. And with the adversity that he has dealt with, that he hasn't dealt with during his NHL career, how do you deal with it now? You don't want to look too far ahead and it's it's a tough league and uh, it takes a lot of work and you can't let your, let your foot off the gas and um, you can't just do enough to get by you got to do more and uh, you know it's it's tough when when you feel you're not doing your part uh, for the team and um, it just feels feels good to contribute tonight and uh, just excited to keep working one day at a time and build it back and you know it, it happens in life that stuff's not going to go your way and um, you got to just keep fighting so uh, that's the mindset, and uh, it was uh, it was fun to get a win with the boys. That's one of the hardest things in life, but especially in sports, is to not look at the the macro and really pinpoint in on the micro. And you heard Jordan Bennington several times last night say, you just got to take it one day at a time. And I think that's what's going to serve him best. If he doesn't think about everything that's happening and he just focuses on the task at hand, minute to minute, period to period. And the Blues will be back in action at home Friday night. So a uh, nice couple of days off here today and tomorrow before they take on the Sabres on Friday night. Tage Thompson and the Sabres in town. So you get a chance to see an old friend. I know that Vladimir Saboka was a big favorite <laughs> of a lot of Blues fans, but unfortunately I don't think he's on their squad anymore, so we're going to miss out on uh, Vladdy Saboka. Oh, bummer. I was really looking forward to that. But Just Tate, make sure about that. Tage Thompson having a good season. Yeah, not. I, I don't say this in a, in a bad way. Uh, I, I really say it in a, in a term of endearment. Vladdy Saboka is kind of like a cockroach. He just, <laughs> you, you can't kill him. It's and a good nickname, though. He, yeah, he's going to, yeah, that is a good name. He's going to find his way back into this league. I don't know how, I don't know who it's going to be with, but Vladimir Saboka will again be a member of a National Hockey League team. If you're a professional athlete and you're not a star that's going to make a lot of money, being a cockroach is a good second option because that means you're constantly cashing checks. Right. That is what I'm saying about him. So that's a good thing. Tage Thompson is still there. I think he's the only person left from that trade that they still have. So I'm sorry about that. Can we call it a trade or was it an armed robbery? It was an army robbery. <laughs> an army robbery. Very good. Very good. Much better. I love it. College basketball last night over at the Jewel of Midtown. The Billikens roll St. Joseph 
Yuri Collins, 17.6 assists. Okoro with 15, 10, and 3. And St. Joseph's was only 28% from the field, 3 uh, from 3, and 1 of 12 from the line. And uh, the Billikens win at 72-61. Just three games left for the Bills. A couple of road games before wrapping up on the 5th of March at home. And... Michelle Missouri fell to 10 and 10 and 18 overall, 4 and 11 in the SEC with an 80 61 loss to Tennessee. Mizzou, as Coach Stallings used to say for the football Cardinals, kind of scuffling. Kind of scuffling indeed. It was crazy yesterday. One of our fight questions was the last time Mizzou won a game in the NCAA tournament back in 2010. Yeah. It's hard to believe it's been that long. No, they, they were the number two seed against uh, Norfolk State, right? That, no, no, the last time they won, Randy. Oh. Won a game. Oh, Matt Rocchio is furious with me. I just, I brought back bad memories, Matt. Didn't I? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, there are a few sports moments where I will, I remember the exact room I was in as I watched my heart get ripped out <laughs> and Norfolk State and Kyle freaking O'Quinn, the name I will never forget, will will always just sit so badly in my in my heart. You mentioned the fifth down yesterday, you're mentioning Norfolk State today, you're, just, you're mm. killing me, Randy. I just remember the tweets, <laughs> Norfolking way. <laughs> And last thing, last week, Phil Mickelson told Golf Digest that he was interested in working with the Saudi people to really to put pressure on the PGA Tour, this new Saudi super tour. <laughs> and he said, Phil Mickelson said, these are scary people. And that well, was, he didn't say people. Yeah, right. But he. But I, I think if he said people, it might not have hit as the right. same way. Yeah, but it. it it hit. And uh, by well, the way, he said it to an author. He thought it was off the record. The author says, no, it wasn't off the record, and he's putting it into a book. And Golf Digest got a hold of a, an excerpt from it. But yesterday, Phil apologized. And a lengthy apology, too. Yeah. He said, I, and I don't even know if this one was on. Uh, the, the There's a word template for apologies, like drug suspensions in football and baseball and stuff. Oh, yeah, and he didn't do it on the Notes app, by the way. This yeah. was an official Phil Mickelson apology with the logo and the name and yeah. everything. And he, he did write... I apologize for anything I said that was taken out of context. The specific people I have worked with are visionaries and have only been supportive. More importantly, they love golf and share my drive to make the game better. And uh, so his apology, we'll find out over the course of the week or so, whether or not it's been accepted. Well, you know what I thought was interesting was the way he stuck the landing of the apology. He said, I've experienced many successful and rewarding moments that I will always cherish, but I have often failed myself and others too. The past 10 years, I have felt the pressure and stress slowly affecting me at a deeper level. I know that I have not been my best and desperately need some time away to prioritize the ones I love most and work on being the man I want to be. Do you think... Because he's had some gambling issues. Do you think this might all be a product of gambling losses? That's something that we've read about, that we've heard. I mean, it's tough to speculate when you don't know what someone's financial situation is. Mm -hmm. But if you were if you were looking for money and they were going to offer you $100 million plus to do mm -hmm. this, it seems like an easy, an easy way to get some cash. Right. And people talk about Charles Barkley going to Vegas and losing 50000 or $100,000 in one night. And he says, but I'm rich. Yeah. <laughs> I can afford it. But, but one thing about that statement, though, we, we sometimes fail to think about this. 
these are people that we all make mistakes. We all say dumb things. We all do dumb things, but we don't have the world watching. And it is really hard sometimes, I think, for not these athletes, but these people to make a mistake and have the world be watching all the time. And when you're someone like Phil and you're surrounded by people who are telling you this is a good idea, this is a good idea, and they're hyping you up or telling you this is going to change your life financially, whatever that might be, and then you go with it and then you you aren't anticipating the reaction from the world right. because the bubble you're in is a positive one that has to be pretty harsh. The the gap between what Phil Mickelson experiences and what the normal human being experiences is cavernous. Of course. It, Randy, cavernous? Just so saying. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there that, uh, that, that, that there's a wide gap. In fairness to Phil, I bet I bet a country Big. I bet a country that's essentially like a murder cartel cares a lot less about tax evasion. <laughs> True. All right, uh, we're off and running here on 101 ESPN at 712 now. And coming up, it is Wednesday, and that means it's time for Ask Uncle Randy. Get your text into the Ear Comfort Service text line, 65780 on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 65780. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. Guess what day it is? Ask Day. It is hump day. We were playing Gloria earlier, so we didn't get to hump day. Ask Uncle Randy, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, we did get this text during the open that said, and it's from the 3014, and of course, you both refuse to criticize Conzo Martin, media darling, pretty weak. I think all you have to do is mention that they lost by 19 and mention their record, right? 11-18, 4-11 in the SEC. Don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, d- I don't think that we needed to really expand more on that Mizzou loss. No, I think that's uh, every time they, uh, we'd use a lot of time. If every time they had a bad performance, we were saying, oh, Conzo Martin's terrible. Look, they're 4-11 in the conference. They're 10-18 and 18 overall. They're very good. That's pretty obvious. Yeah, and I don't think that the appetite for people to hear about a Mizzou basketball loss no. when the Blues are coming off a win is that big. No. Sorry, I didn't think we needed to really dive into that one today. No, uh, all right, your texts and your questions for Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. All right, from the 3-2-1. Dear Uncle oh, Randy. I like that one. From the 3-2-1. That's yeah, good. Do you want to guess? Because I don't know where it is. But yesterday you guessed uh, yeah, I'm North Carolina. Medellin, Colombia. No, you, uh, Wait, no, there was not Medellin, a one. There was, there was not, there was not a one in front of it. Unfortunately, oh, okay, sorry. Oh, you're not far off, Orlando. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Uncle Randy, my friends and I are traveling to Nashville next month. We've been searching far and wide for tickets to watch the Blues play the Predators. Ticket prices are outrageous. How much is too much to travel and watch the Blues play for a regular season game? How much is too much? Okay, if prices are outrageous, I would say that if you want to get in the door, I mean, you buy tickets for a Blues game, lower bowl, face value, uh, down by the glass, you're talking 150 bucks, right? And if you're in the lower bowl beyond, behind that, you might be at 100 and upper bowl, you're probably talking between 50 and 100. So I, I would say how much is too much? I would say if, if you're going north of 200 a pop, probably, that would be too much for me. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. But I would, I think when I took my kids there, and this was a long time ago, like six years ago, 
Uh, I believe we paid like 100 bucks a pop. It's a really good time. It is a great time. It yeah. opens right up to Broadway. I mean, it's a great trip. Yep. If you're going to Nashville well, to see a Blues Preds game, it's a guaranteed good time. And if it's a bucket list item for you, then don't put a price on it. Because if you aren't going to get the opportunity to do it multiple times, if it's one of those, then take advantage of it. And by the way, you and your friends, you're only going to be this age and do this trip one time. So I would say if you spend 200 bucks a pop, that that would be reasonable. From the 217, dear Uncle Randy, my girlfriend and I are going to Las Vegas for Memorial Day weekend. Great, have a great time. What are the must-see slash do's and what are some tourist traps to avoid? It has been a long time since I have been to Vegas. I mean a long time. So we're going to have to get some help from the old text line here, 65780. Because from I think the last time I was in Vegas was, let's see, 15 years ago? So they have built so much new stuff. I... I can't give you any help at all. So isn't Vegas itself a tourist trap? I mean, there's nothing yeah. you go to Vegas yep. to do that isn't geared towards a tourist. Right. right. You're going to stay on the strip. You're going to go to the restaurants and the clubs and you're going to shop, see a show. All of that is geared towards a tourist. Now, you're listening to this show. We can tell you that everybody we talk to says that a Golden Knights game and the introductions to a Golden Knights game is an experience unlike any other. Yes. Obviously, going to see the fountains at the Bellagio and Caesar's Palace are great, and the light show at Caesar's Palace. And I know that's still there. That's very cool stuff. And don't don't bother sleeping when you're in Vegas. Yeah, that's the whole point. You're going to go zero to 100 real, real quick and yeah, stay there. Right. But if, if there's new stuff that's popped up in Vegas, uh, because I, I can't tell you where not to go, might have been torn down. Send us a text, 65780, and we'll try to help this texture out. A lot of people are saying Fremont Street okay. is the place to go. It says a lot of pe- a lot of texts about Fremont Street. Someone says there's nothing like it. Also, if you like custom cars, it's free to walk around. Okay, cool. Good. Yeah, so that we're getting a ton of texts. Thanks about. for the Fremont Street tip. Yeah, I've never heard of Fremont Street. I guess yeah. my ve- Vegas experience didn't really include walking around. Yeah. I like Vegas, but I don't love it. There are other places that I would rather go than Vegas. I feel the same way. If I'm going to party, I'd rather go to Miami because then you have the beach. Yeah, right. That's that's just my jam. All right, from the 314, Uncle Randy and Aunt Michelle, what are some great fancy restaurants that are outstanding in the city of Chicago? Spare no expense. Okay, well, uh, there is, uh, and, and you've got one here, but still, the, the Capitol Grill is sensational. Uh if, if, I'm telling you, Michelle hates it, but uh, it, it, you're in Chicago. You might as well try the Chicago-style pizza. And uh, in general, the Chicago people prefer Lou, Lou Malnati's. So here's all you need to know. My friend Joe Flam, he won Top Chef, mm-hmm. and he opened an amazing restaurant in the Fulton Market District called Rosemary. Two words, Rosemary, after both of his grandmothers. It's oh, yeah, the, I know where that is. It's one of the best meals you'll ever have. Okay. But... Google it now because it's tough to get a reservation, but I promise you, that's all you need to know. Rosemary. Rosemary. Okay, so there you go. Spare no expense. I've got one for you. A place called Monteverdi up in Chicago. Been uh, amazing. It's incredible. The best part is pretty much no matter where you are in the restaurant, they have it so there's a there's a mirror behind the counter mm-hmm. so that at any point in the restaurant, you can watch the people making the fresh pasta behind the oh, counter wow, because cool. they have this double mirror thing that shoots down at their hands. So you're just seeing the hands work the pasta the entire time while you're eating, and then you eat pasta that you literally just see get made get made you know 10 minutes before it's incredible okay good hold on here 
Uh, ba, 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 ba. I got a text. This isn't the 65780 text. This is the other text. Oh, okay. Do you want me to read uh, another one? Or are you STK going to- Steakhouse and Pat's Pizza. Two separate texts from two separate people. They have an so, SDK in Vegas, too. Okay, so there we go. From the 314, this one's a little bit of a long one. Dear Uncle Randy, in October of 2020, I started a new job with a construction company. After about six months, they noticed my work and they bumped my salary up considerably. I truly appreciated it. About six months ago, I was promised a promotion that would move me from work into the office. They just needed to replace my job first. They've been unable to. I'm getting impatient and I'm starting to think my value is even greater since they can't replace me. Should I ask for another raise, change jobs for a great opportunity, or just be patient? What I would do is go to them and say, look, I get that you have not been able to replace me so that I can get my bump in salary to move into the office. However, we'd plan for that bump in salary. So even though I'm still out in the field and not in the office yet, I would appreciate if I could get that bump in salary now because inevitably you're going to have to pay me when I come into the office anyway. I, I would try to couch it so that we we all know that I'm going to get a raise, right? So why not just give it to me now? That's the way I would try to sell it to them. Yeah, this is inevitable. So let's yeah. just get it over with. Yeah. And you're right. Your value has increased for them. And if you go in and say, hey, I'm asking for more money, you don't even have to tell them. They might be worried about you leaving. And last thing they want because you know that you're valuable to them last thing they want is for you to leave it is hard though for everybody to find employees right now it is right and the thing is i've always told my bosses my job is to make you money and so you clearly are making them money so you deserve a little bit more from or or a lot more or a lot more yeah you might as well ask for it clearly you know that you're valuable to them all they can do is say no that's what I tell people. Just go for it. Whatever it is in life, just go for it. The worst that can happen is that it doesn't work out. And you're already not having that thing work out. So you might as well try. Yeah, right. From the 636, Dear Uncle Randy, as a noted student of the human condition, mm-hmm. is it your opinion that Jordan Bennington went to a psychiatrist because he looks, quote, fixed? No, it's not my opinion that he went to a psychiatrist. I don't know. I wouldn't uh, I, I wouldn't dre- dare to, to guess. I know that... The goalie is a very mental animal, right? And so anything's possible. But a lot of times goalies just need to chill for a while. Remember, it was, boy, 2013 when the Blues had to send Brian Elliott down to the minors. Mm -hmm. And he came back and he was fantastic. And I I think there's so much pressure on those guys. It's like being a closer in baseball. The game is totally on you. Yeah. And I think sometimes you just need to get away and decompress when things aren't going well. And it looked to me last night like Bennington was on his game. We talked, I think it was his last start, about how he looked like a, a fish that had just been caught at the bottom of a boat just flopping around. And last night he looked much more solid. And by the way, Michelle, you and I have talked to all the hockey people, right? And when we're critical of him, uh, and Darren Pang, I thought yesterday, when I brought up Huso, he jumped into defending Bennington. Yeah, that's right. And, and so they have complete faith. The, the people that are around the team that have actually played the sport have complete faith in Jordan Bennington rebounding.
And back to the psychology aspect of this, a lot of teams now are employing sports psychologists. Yeah, because it's a, good thing. It, it's a great thing because the things that these athletes deal with from a mental standpoint, the the pressures and rigors of being in the public eye and especially someone like a goalie or a pitcher, knowing that the outcome of a game rides on you a lot of times mm-hmm. and the success of your team and your teammates relies on you. I mean, we heard Jordan Bennington last segment say, I wanted to get out there and contribute with the boys. Like mm-hmm. that's that's something that from a mental standpoint has to wear on you. So I don't know if he saw a psychologist. I don't know if, if that's even something that the Blues offer or someone that they employ. But I know a lot of teams now are making sure that there's someone in-house to, to help coach these guys up mentally. And I look at sports, as you know, at a real mac, maybe too macro of a level. But if Jordan Bennington is looking at social media at all, which he shouldn't do, I'm sure that he's seeing people that look at a micro level. My, my son, Patrick, last night before last night's game said, wouldn't it be ironic if Jordan Bennington's first and last starts in the NHL were in Philadelphia? Oh, wow. So he was going into that game thinking that he was going to get blown up and he wasn't going to get a chance to play anymore. So, and I think uh, on BKM Ferrario, they, they asked if this was the last chance for Bennington. So, and that wasn't unique. That was all over the place. And Bennington has to hear that noise. I'm sure he does. Last one, Randy, from the 314. Dear Uncle Randy, I'm financing a car for the first time. The market is absolutely trash right now. What's a few tips you can give me with dealing with salesmen selling vehicles for over 40% over value? That is ridiculous, first of (laughs) all. But I would say I have two pieces of advice. Don't ever fall in love with a vehicle. And as you grow older, you will get to a point, unless you become a collector, where a vehicle really does become a point A to point B. But what you have to do, especially when you know the true value of that car, and you know that you're gonna have to pay a premium, you put a price on that vehicle for you, and if that price isn't met by the dealer, be prepared to move on and find another vehicle. It sucks to be in the market right now because you're right, there is a shortage and there is some gouging going on. But my primary recommendation would be to not fall in love with a vehicle and when you find the vehicle you like, not love, but like, mm-hmm. set your own price on it and say, okay, I'll give you this for it. And if they don't take it, be prepared to move on. It is such a tough position to be in right now because it is enticing with uh all of these dealerships coming to you mm-hmm. saying you could trade in your car and make this much money but yep. then you have to go out and find another car right it's tough and in talking to dealership people we should be getting pretty close either in may or october we should be getting pretty close to getting those chips made again and new vehicles being built again but man the last year or so has been a real hassle i wonder how many chips are sitting out on ships chips on ships out off of california just because they can't get those things taken off of boats in California. I'll bet they're, and I know that they're only built, I think the chips are only built in Korea, if I'm not mistaken. And we've got to start building them here. It's ridiculous that we didn't build those here. Yes, it is. So That's it. We're done. Okay. There's, how about that? That uh, un- Uncle Randy, a little, little unfiltered. It's stupid that we aren't building stuff. America. <laughs> <laughs> we better start building stuff. That's all I got to say. We used to make things in this country. <laughs> That's right. Hey, coming up next on 101 ESPN, Cockball has decided to penalize us for some reason. We'll tell you what they're doing to us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Bricker and Smallman coming to you live from the Car Shield Studio. This is 101 ESPN. It is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, an interesting story last week and really an unusual story in sports. The college football playoff is going to remain at four teams through the end of their current 12-year contract that expires following the 2025 season. So we're going to have the 2022 three, four, and five seasons with the four-team playoff. What I find notable about this is that the four teams, the four-team playoff is going to cost the Power Five conferences and Notre Dame $450 million in potential revenue. Why would college football do this? Why would they not want to provide their product to the most people? Because it would be worth a lot of money to them and give more teams because every year it seems like we have a team that's complaining about not being in the playoff. Why not give more teams an opportunity and maybe even give every Power 5 conference champion an opportunity to play for a championship? It just seems like such a no-brainer that you would expand the playoff because it will generate more money, it will generate more interest in your sport, because to your point, you're going to have more teams that actually have a chance. It's a little frustrating and frankly kind of boring at some points in the college football season when you can pretty much know at least three of the four teams that are going to be in the college football playoff every single year. And a lot of those games between maybe a 1-2 seed and a 3-4 seed haven't been all that exciting. If you open it up, you give more of a chance for teams to have an upset or a team to go on a run. But I I just think that this is pretty short-sighted by the committee, even though it seemed like it's been getting a lot of universal praise, the thought of expanding the playoffs from outside of the committee. And I hope that they reconsider it. Now, there are a lot of varying reasons for why they didn't do this. First of all, we need to start with the Group of Five Commissioner, Mike Oresco, who said, I've always said the money was secondary, and this proves it. Maybe he doesn't think enough of his Group of Five conference champions are going to be guaranteed spots like Cincinnati got into in the Final Four in the future. The other issue, apparently, is that There is such a fear of the SEC becoming even more dominant with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas. And people, by the way, are ticked at the SEC. Mm -hmm. The Big 12 is, the Pac-12 is. It seems like there is a reluctance on the part of other schools to make this the SEC Invitational. But it's probably going to be that whether you expand or not. Yeah, right. It is. I mean, it's you're having two SEC teams in there now. It's going to be the dominating conference, whether it's four teams, eight teams, 12 teams, whatever. And that's up to the rest of college football to catch up. That's not the SEC's problem. But it is more entertaining if you have more SEC teams in the mix even than just the, the same three to four teams that we've been seeing over the past couple of years. I really think that it would be so easy for them not only to do an 18 team playoff or an 18 playoff but a 16 team playoff and go from the second week in December from 16 to 8 third week in December from 8 to 4 you can still use that first week in December for your conference championship games uh so your second week from 16 to 8, third week from 8 to 4, and then over the Christmas weekend, you go from 4 to 2, and then you've got teams that can still play in bowl games. And for whatever reason, college football, maybe it's just they're afraid of ESPN, but they're afraid of losing the bowl games. And then you can still have your two championship teams take the time off between Christmas and January 10th to have that game. It doesn't appear to me as if it would be that difficult logistically to put it together. It appears to me that there are other things at play here rather than just 
playing too many games or logistically figuring out where these playoff games are going to be played. There's a lot of money, ESPN, and you were up there in Bristol, so Mm -hmm. you know about the value of the bowl system to them, and I don't think they want to tick off ESPN and the money that ESPN provides for them. And then you have what we talked about earlier with the conferences wanting their share of the pie, the group of five especially, wanting their share of the college football pie. What do you think some of those other things at play could be? Because one one thing that I've been reading about and hearing is that everything that's happening with NIL and the transfer portal, there's been so many shifts already over mm-hmm. the past calendar year, really, on the landscape of college football that maybe the powers that be don't think right now is the best time for expansion because there's so many things that are already being shifted. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know how one has to do with the other because expanding the playoff is really only expanding interest and your financial benefits whereas the NIL and the transfer portal all that is a completely separate mess and a completely separate deal that you're going to have to deal with whether or not there's four eight or 12 teams in the playoff now there are a couple of things that were talked about by the the group the eight to three vote the 11 conference commissioners that made the vote That included an inability to accommodate the Pac-12's relationship with the Rose Bowl, which they want to maintain their relationship uh, with the Big Ten champion playing the Pac-12 champion nominally in the Rose Bowl because they want to cling to that day and that time and those media rights. Also, and this is what I think the big thing is, the disagreement about revenue distribution among Group of Five and Power Five because Group of Five, they, they think they're as important as the Power Five. They still haven't reached that conclusion yet all due respect to Cincinnati, that they can't play with the SEC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Maybe the Big 12 is kind of like more of a group of five now with the departure of Oklahoma and Texas. But the most money should go to the most important, biggest revenue teams, right? Don't you think, though, that Cincinnati's success has only continued to to stoke those fires and those feelings because they're probably looking at Cincinnati saying, well, Cincinnati can do it, so can our program. And they're thinking, well, Central Florida should have gotten an opportunity, right. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think that is part of it. But the reality of the situation is if the group of five wants to have their own little playoff, I think that that would be viable. I am of the opinion, and again, Cincinnati did hang with Alabama for a half, didn't they, after being undefeated? They, they hung with Alabama for a half. But... If you're going to have a group of five in the final four every year, they're going to lose that game every year. That team, unless it's a complete fluke, is never going to beat one of the top three teams in the country. Never. Unless they have some sort of program where the NIL benefits are so great that for monetary reasons or brand promotion reasons, kids want to go to a school like that. And then the other issue that was brought up here, and I think this is probably, again, from the group of five, whether or not the Power Five conference champions should all receive automatic bids to an expanded playoff that's supported by the Big Ten, but not a majority in the room. And and that's something, if you have an 18 playoff, then the five Power Five conference champions should all be in it. Even if a Texas A&M might be better, or, or three teams, I guess four teams, Mm -hmm. might be better than, for example, the Pac-12 champion. I still think that every conference champion, it's kind of like winning a division to go to the playoffs in pro sports. There should be a reward for winning your conference championship. 
But do you think that conference realignment isn't over and that eventually we're going to see all of these team pick, teams picked off until there is four super conferences and the winner of those conferences is going to be the feeder into the playoff? I think we've already done that. Basically, yeah. I mean, the, the Pac-12 is not what it once was. <laughs> but if you're the Pac-12, obviously you're going to fight for expansion yeah. until that happens. And the Pac-12 is adding UCF and Houston and somebody else. But if you look at the, the I'm, did I say the Pac-12? I'm, I'm at the Big 12. Big 12 right now, you've got Oklahoma State. Baylor is still a strong program. Iowa State, Kansas State, West Virginia, TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas. And then you're adding Houston. Uh, is Cincinnati? I think Cincinnati's in that group. Houston, Cincinnati, Central Florida, somebody else. It's really not a Power Five conference. I mean, you talk about different universes between the SEC and and, and Mizzou's in the SEC. They they could play in either of these conferences, really, yeah. with their history. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Big 12 is not a real Power Five. Not, not without Texas and Oklahoma. No, the Pac-12 really isn't right now either. I mean, a lot of schools yeah. are getting back to that, but how many times are we talking about Pac-12 teams even really in the college football playoff conversation? Right. We will, though. With, with USC, Lincoln with, Riley. With USC and Oregon. Yeah. I think that Chip we, Kelly maybe at UCLA at yeah, some point. Yeah. So I think that they at least have a chance, but I don't see a chance. Baylor and Oklahoma State are the only two teams in that conference that can win and, and to me, infiltrate that group that might play in a Final Four. Now, they, I do believe that a champion of the Big 12 should be able to play in, a, in an 18 playoff and then just get drilled. You know which conference should want this the most is the Big 10. Yeah, they should. Right. And I, I think there's a lot of emotion that went into this because they're upset about, all the conferences are upset about the SEC poaching the best programs from all the other leagues. Yeah, and basically for the past couple seasons it's been who's going to win Michigan or Ohio State yeah. and who's going to be the team out of those two that represents the Big Ten in the playoff and there's been teams in the Big Ten that have been competitive that have been right on that cusp that could be a, an interesting and perhaps dangerous playoff team that don't get in because there's always going to be two SEC teams basically that get in. After 2026, 14 playoff, 18 playoff or 16 team playoff? What are you thinking? I would like to start with eight. I think that they need to go to 16. Already. You need and, from 4 to 16 and, just and make the jump. Make the money. Take the money. $450 million they left out. A year is what they're leaving on the table. Which is the antithesis of what college football has really become. Is. Not one cent has been left no. on the table. So the fact that, that they decided not to expand has blown my mind. Yeah. And by the way, based on what we know, Mizzou better keep Eli Drinkwitz too. And he, he's going to be good, but you can't lose him. But I'm sure there's teams that are going to that have probably tried to poach him and that are going to continue to try to once poach him. Once he starts winning, he's only 11 and 11, but once he starts winning, Mizzou's really vulnerable. But he's shown that he can recruit. Look what he did with mm -hmm. the team in his first season in a pandemic year. He's he's probably on a lot of teams' radars already. Take it or leave it is coming your way next. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing.
Okay, let's get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Now, Michelle, Phil Mickelson says that those comments that he made about the Saudi Golf League were taken out of context and without his consent. But even with that being the case, the company on his visor for years and years and years, KPMG, announced it had agreed to part ways with Phil following the controversy. Take it or leave it, Phil will play his next PGA tournament without sponsorship. Ooh. And, and apparently he has told Callaway, hey, if you want to bail, feel free to bail. That's a good one. Um, I'm going to leave it because I think after the apology, there might be some that stick on. But I don't know. That's a tough one because a, uh, this is what happens is someone says something controversial and sponsors like they, we've already seen with Phil start to bail. He did apologize. And w- when I initially read this stuff, I... I didn't think it was worthy of people bailing on him. I just thought he was voicing a crazy old man opinion. <laughs> I, I didn't think it was worthy of him losing sponsorship. I really didn't. Well, I don't know if I'm a sponsor and I'm thinking that he's potentially provoking the Saudis. I don't know if well, I want to be tested. And by the way, and he did mention, he, he said, I'm on board with them despite their horrible record for human rights. So, and... He was aware of the the evidence, the strong evidence, that they killed Jamal Khashoggi. So I, I can see it from that perspective, but it seems to me the kind of thing that would blow over pretty easily. But it hasn't. No, it, but I mean, over the course of time, by the time the Masters gets here, who's talking about it? Yeah, I don't know. We still might be talking about it I come Masters. I still time. are. I hope, he doesn't, I hope he doesn't, you know, get off yeah. scot-free. Kind he of might like, not even play in the Masters now. Yeah. You know, now is the time to retire to the Champions Tour and just start banking a bunch of money in, in slightly more obscurity. Hopefully, hopefully he's got money. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what his yeah. situation is. But I would imagine it, he might have some money, <laughs> especially yeah. if he had sponsorships that were in place up until yesterday. yesterday. I imagine those checks are coming through. Yeah. It's going to be weird to see him without that KPMG cap and visor. I know, I know it is weird. Been we, forever. We assign that to him for sure. So, Randy, we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers later in the show, but he got the sports world a Twitter yesterday after he posted late night, Monday night, an Instagram post that sounded like a retirement post. He was thinking shit. It's kind of ironic, Louis. isn't it, that he got us all a Twitter with an Instagram post? Totally. I know. <laughs> Mixing socials there, Randy. But he had everybody thinking that he was going to announce his retirement on the Pat McAfee show. He didn't. We're going to talk about that again later in the show about what's next for Aaron Rodgers. But he said he had just come out of a 12-day Panchakarma cleanse that originated in India and that he was feeling very grateful afterwards. Now, he says it's a cleanse that originated in India. It's been going on for thousands of years. It's something that he's done in the off-seasons. Now, this cleanse, it begins with a special massage using oils. It moves toxins into the gastrointestinal tract. This happens every day for three to seven days, and it helps you sweat out more toxins you have to get involved uh, in a steam room and it moves into several phases but basically this cleanse involves vomiting laxatives and it sounds like a terrible 12 days take it or leave it there's no way that you could complete that cleanse i'm gonna leave that by the way the final stage of this includes a bunch of enemas i'm gonna take that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're taking laxative there's therapeutic vomiting you're you're doing enemas and this is not yeah. 
three days. This is 12 days. I wonder what you eat during those 12 days. I don't know, but... It's quite a cleanse. It is quite I a cleanse. I think it'd be good Something to cleanse. It's a lot of like that like hot water and yeah. paprika or whatever the heck yeah. people do. Okay, I looked it up. The diet has kichari ghee and so it's a, it's basically rice rices and veggies with clarified butter. That's all you're having. Veggies. Okay, I'm going to leave it. I've done cleanses before. I love a juice cleanse. I can't make it past 3 days. There is I, I like to think when it comes to cleanses or things in the health and wellness mm-hmm. space, I have a, a pretty strong stomach for things like that, and I can push through. I mean, I did 75 hard. I, yeah, if, I, right. if I mentally say I'm going to do something, I likely can, can complete it. There's no way I could do 12 Have days you ever no done way. the linguine with clams cleanse? What's that? Where you just eat linguine with clams for 12 straight days? No, I've, never, I've never done that, but it it's sounds pretty, good. Yeah, you know, it's a very pointed question to Michelle. <laughs> it's, it's actually very effective. For putting on weight, <laughs> stacking on, well, see, carving up for a marathon or you, four. Here's the thing, though, it really doesn't work unless you have like a chocolate croissant for for breakfast. <laughs> but then you have a smoothie for lunch. Is this just your diet? I just thought of it. It's the Phelps Light. It's a cleanse, Michelle. Twelve days. Okay. <laughs> Should we try it? And then you have to work out twice for forty-five minutes a day. Once inside and once outside. No, this all sounds terrible. <laughs> By the way, Rogers couldn't exercise. It says exercise, getting intimate, music, TV, and other stimulating experiences are supposed to be avoided during the cleanse, Ooh. and you can't have cold drinks, cold food, caffeine, white sugar, dairy, or alcohol. I wouldn't be thankful to other people. I'd be thankful that it was over. That'd be my Instagram post. But you can't have music or TV, and I'm sure stimulating experiences include social media. So he was off of all of that for 12 days. And then, but whenever you come out of a cleanse, your mind is clear and mm-hmm. you almost feel a, a little disoriented because you, it's like a, an interesting combination of clear, but also disoriented. So I could see him thinking about all of these things for 12 days and, and wanting to write the post. Yeah. But even in that state, Aaron Rodgers knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, can you yes, imagine, can you imagine yeah. waking up? one day and not having a bunch of stress and anxiety affecting your thought process, I wouldn't know how to function. Right. <laughs> I would crumble as a human being. <laughs> All right, what do we have, Matthew? Take it or leave it. Bennington is back, baby. Take I'm it. taking it. He's Absolutely. back. He looked fantastic. He looked great. He was in the building between the pipes where it all started. That's it's all the, the signs are pointing to 50 being 50. He's a flatliner again. He didn't look nervous last didn't night. Didn't look nervous Mm-mm. at all. Take it or leave it. The Blues are going to ride the coattails of, uh, of any other Laura Branigan hit all the way to the cup. Hey, it, I think there might have been one other one. I was of just going to say. Of the other Laura Branigan hit. Is there say. another Laura Branigan There's hit? one more. What yeah. is it? Mm-hmm. I got to find it. I got to hunt yeah, it. The gotta fact hunt that it neither of you know tells I'll, me it's not I'll a hit. It, yeah. it's not listen, a hit. I wouldn't have known Gloria on you know January 6, 2019 either. Oh, what? I knew Gloria. Gloria's famous. Um, I don't think I could have pulled it off the top of my head. <laughs> I surely didn't know who Laura Brannigan was. I knew Gloria, but probably not who sang it. Fair enough. Take it or leave it. If you're going to punch someone in the face over a timeout, Juwan Howard should have found Chris Webber. Oh, I'm going to take that. I'll take that too, yeah. (laughs) Take it or leave it. After listening to last night's radio broadcast, we need more of Chris Kerber hopped up on coffee. I'll take that, yeah. Oh, always. Take it. (laughs) Take it or leave it. Asking uh, Asking out a girl at work that I work with every day. What? Is that a Tioli or just a no, sentence? No, take it or leave it. Asking out a girl that I work with every day. Well, that's really tricky because you need to make sure that she's into it too. Yeah. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. You don't want to you, you date somebody that you work with every day. You just don't. 
we know many examples of work romances that have turned out well. Yeah, but I still don't. Without revealing names, but we no. know a lot of people that right. but dated people Ultimately, in the if you're going to see somebody at night, do you want to see them all day too? No. <laughs> that's, that's my answer. No. Yeah, but maybe they work in different departments. Maybe it's something, you know, like a Jim Pam situation. One's in reception, oh, one's in be. sales. Danny and I have talked about this, I think, on the air before. Maybe I shouldn't. Uh, maybe it wasn't on the air. So maybe I shouldn't say it, but I will. Because Danny and I both ha- have worked a lot of nights, right? Mm-hmm. I think we said that with you here. And I think that works to the advantage of a couple when they don't see each other as much. So the key to a successful relationship is not seeing the other person. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> I don't know about that, Randy. It seems to be it's, working. It's an old axiom. It has to be true, right? Is that why everyone yeah. got divorced during the pandemic? Because they were forced to hang out? Yes. Maybe. <laughs> it's also why they're begging the schools to take the kids back. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, if you had Deshaun Watson playing for a team in your city, could you be on board with it if he wasn't criminally charged? Get your text in. We're going to talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. 805 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker, Matt Rocchio, and the Deshaun Watson saga continues, Michelle. The Athletic reporting that the Texans still want five to seven assets, including three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson, who's obviously involved in a civil legal case. And he must undergo depositions in connection with at least some of the 22 assault allegations made against him. And those depositions must must take place before Monday. His lawyer wanted to wait until after April 1st and after the start of the new league year. And the judge said, no, that's not going to happen. Despite the heavy focus on the criminal investigation, Watson hasn't been charged with a crime, and search warrant documents from October indicate that a charge of indecent assault, a misdemeanor offense, could be filed against him based on at least eight of the reports of sexual assault. Now, if he settles these cases and and is never charged with a crime, if, if all of his legal issues are civil, but we kind of know what happened... But the women settle with him. I I think I know your answer. (laughs) Could you accept your team having that guy on said team and still be a fan? Personally, no. But I know that I am the outlier. I know, unfortunately, we've seen it time and time again in sports that it really doesn't matter what the crime is as long as the player produces. And we know that Deshaun Watson is a very talented quarterback. And even though he's taken time away from the game, whatever team he joins, he's likely going to have success and likely going to make them better. And just like Araldis Chapman with the Cubs or Tyreek Hill with the Chiefs, it kind of doesn't matter what a player does. If they lead the team to the ultimate success, fans are going to forgive them. Now... This is a completely different situation, but one of my all-time favorite columnists in sports was Kevin Horrigan at the Post-Dispatch. And again, 
completely different situations. But when Keith Hernandez came back from the Pittsburgh drug trial in 1985 and performed against the Cardinals in his first game back, he got a massive standing ovation from the fans at Shea Stadium. And Kevin wrote in his column the next day, but Mets fans would cheer the Night Stalker if he could hit in the clutch. (laughs) And he wasn't wrong. No, he's not wrong. But I think we're, as sports fans, I think on some level, we're all hypocritical. Now, I believe it's different if it happens to be a quarterback because he is the face of the franchise. I I would find it very difficult to accept my face of the franchise being Deshaun Watson. I, I wasn't one who cheered for Leonard Little here. Susan Gutweiler, tragically killed in 1999 when Leonard Little was driving drunk and he was suspended for half the season. And when he became a really good pass rusher, he'd get a sack and Rams, St. Louis Rams fans would cheer him. We were pretty hypocritical. We we didn't just sit there quietly. It happened in Dallas. Greg Hardy gets a sack. We, we had pictures of Greg Hardy and the bruises to his girlfriend after he threw her down on a, a bed full of guns. Uh in Philadelphia, they cheered Michael Vick when he came back after he slammed dogs onto concrete to kill them. So I think it's in general, as sports fans, wherever we are, whatever the market is, I think we're generally hypocritical. But I do believe that in a typical market like St. Louis or Pittsburgh or Boston, I think if our quarterback has those questions, it's unacceptable. It's always a little different, too, when you have some sort of concrete evidence. Like, obviously, the Ray Rice situation was completely different once Mm -hmm. you saw the video. Because you could hear about something like that or read that he had done it. Once you saw the video, that affects you on a visceral level. There's no way that you can unsee what you saw with, with Ray Rice. When it comes to Deshaun Watson, the legal system still has to play out, and he is innocent until proven guilty. However... When there are Instagram messages that have been produced of him seeking out these women on Instagram in a predatory manner Mm -hmm. and then unprompted following up saying, sorry if I made you uncomfortable. He's acknowledging that he did something from a behavior standpoint that was incorrect and that had crossed a line. If he is without them saying anything, reaching out and kind of covering his tracks, that's leading me to believe that he has done something that was inappropriate. I don't know exactly what happened in that room, but that's hard for me as a woman to want to cheer for someone wearing the laundry that represents my team that has predatory behavior towards women. And that's a key word here, predatory, because Watson and his lawyer agree that Watson, for lack of a better term, got a few happy endings, and uh, he claims it it was always consensual. Well, you have women that have gone on record as saying it wasn't consensual. And again, uh, I will admit that if it wasn't a quarterback, I could be hypocritical about this. And I think there are a lot of sports fans that would. But I also don't think that I could accept every time our team speaks to the media, that guy being the guy that that steps forth. Because to me, that's an affront to all females. Well, what about Ben Roethlisberger? See, and and that's a great example because Ben Roethlisberger was never actually, I think he might have been actually arrested, but I don't know if he was ever charged 
with the crime. But in Pittsburgh, was he accepted? Yeah, he was. How many times have we even talked about those accusations or that situation involving Ben Roethlisberger? It's been generally brushed under Mm -hmm. the rug because of the success that he's had in his career for that organization and for that city. They love him there. Also, I think there's a microcosm in there in that when they signed Michael Vick to be his backup, people openly protested Michael Vick being signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers while never saying a word mm-hmm. about Ben Roethlisberger being the longtime starter of that same franchise and kind of the in, the kind of the hypocrisy just within that little decision itself. Yeah, and I think there is, and you hate to make this distinction because the reality of the situation is whether it's one is too many, 22 is too many. But when you have 22 separate allegations against a guy like Deshaun Watson and it's dragged out in court in a very public way for a long time, and maybe that's just because of the time that we're in. Roethlisberger was like 05, right? Mm-hmm. And it just... We, it was we, a different era, too, by the way. Imagine social media. I was just going to say, imagine that happening with Big Ben last year. I mean, it would have been a completely different story right. with, with social media and just the media landscape and the way we consume things. And frankly, um, the tone of things like that in our country right now. Great point. Yeah, with everything that has happened. Yeah, after the Me Too movement, we view things like that differently. Yeah, so at the end of the day, for me, it doesn't matter if Deshaun Watson is never charged with a crime. I, and in a country where we say innocent until proven guilty, I'm saying that if he settles these cases, that he is telling people, yeah, I did it. I, I did something bad. Like the NFL, when they settled with St. Louis for $790 million, even though they didn't say, yeah, we did something bad. You don't settle and, unless you've done something wrong, unless you don't think you can win in court. But isn't this a bigger conversation about what the crime was? You know, I, I guess it's different because Michael Vick was a different type of crime. But I just wonder how many football fans really care that Deshaun Watson did this to these women. I really think it, it like, probably goes market to market. I He's probably... In Houston, I don't think he can play again in Houston. But if he goes to a market, for, for example, Charlotte, and that team is going to protect him. And Carolina will, if they, any team who trades for him is going to protect him and try to put put a shine and pr- put the new Deshaun Watson out there, I, I think it probably depends to a large extent upon the market that he's in. It's going to be interesting, too, if slash when he's deposed and what he says mm-hmm. and if that's made public, yeah. how this might shape the way some people view him. And by the way, here's one of the reasons that I think the market could be a factor here. Because if he goes to New York with all of the media in New York, they're going to dig deep into his past, aren't they? Oh, for sure. And I don't know if And they're they... not afraid to ask him either, no. by the way. Some right. other markets will uh, be told by the team, don't ask him about this, and they'll be respectful of that exchange and probably will maybe ask him that first day and then kind of let it fizzle out. Yep. In New York, that will not happen. It will not happen. That's right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, a big win for the Blues last night in Philly. We're going to talk to Bernie for Durko about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. 
Time for our weekly Wednesday visit with the Hall of Famer Bernie Federko, analyst on Valley Sports. Good morning, Mr. Federko. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Randy. How are you guys today? Everything's good. And I, I was mentioning to Michelle earlier, and it's pretty unanimous among people that played the sport. You guys have always said, hey, Jordan Bennington is going to bounce back. It's only one game, but what did you think of last night? I thought he was, uh, you know what, he was Jordan Bennington. Let's just put it that way. I mean, I thought he was, uh, he seemed relaxed in the crease. In fact, uh, even the interview after, he seemed very relaxed. Uh, he knows what he has to do. And uh, yeah, he maybe has gone through some, some issues as, as far as not being uh, uh, as good as he wants to be each and every game. But I, I thought uh, last, last night he was, he was kind of back to being normal. And Bernie, so much of getting out of a slump is mental oftentimes. And, you know, being in Philly, the place where it all kind of started for him, having a performance like that, you'd like to think that that would give Jordan Bennington the confidence to hopefully turn the corner. Yeah, I think that was probably the uh, the right move by Craig Berube. I think he was probably looking at the past, and, and obviously he's probably got some great feelings from it. He even said that. I mean, you, you always have fond memories when you, you start your career in, in a certain place. He started it in Philly and had a shutout. He almost did that really again last night. But uh, I just thought he was... He was in a situation last night that you could see that, uh, you know, he wasn't really fighting the puck as much. And I think it's always about positioning. You know, for a goaltender, you know, there's two or three times the puck just hit him. Uh, and a lot of times goaltenders try to, uh, when they're struggling, they try to make the save instead of let the puck hit them. They try to come out and try to do more than they really need to do. Just be in good position. The puck's going to hit you. And that's what happened last night. So I think that obviously... Um, he had confidence uh, from that, that uh, you know, the aura of being back in Philadelphia. And, and certainly I think it showed. And, uh, and I think he really needed it that bad. And I think for the for his psyche and for the team's psyche, I think it was really important for him uh, to get a big win yesterday. Bernie, somebody like Michelle, she, she's got only pleasant memories of the Blues going to Philadelphia. She doesn't remember <laughs> most of Bernie Federko's career. <laughs> that That is true. Uh, for whatever reason, yeah, it took a long time. I mean, uh, I didn't get a win in there. I mean, gosh, it was 1988 before I finally got a win in that building. And it, it, it was weird. I, I, You know what? It's, it, we played some really good games in there, too. Uh, we just didn't get the bounces or whatever happened. But we, we just couldn't win in there. And uh, all of a sudden, we, we won both that both times that we were there in 88. And, uh, and since then, the Blues have been a lot more successful in that building. Yeah, I'm glad the fortunes have changed for the Blues in Philadelphia. <laughs> now it's it's the start of everything. But, Bernie, they go 3-0-1 on the road trip, seven out of an eight potential points there. And honestly, they could have and should have won in Montreal. But that team had a new, a new coach and a lot of energy. But by any measure, a really successful road trip for the Blues. Yeah, it was, Michelle, but I think it was expected. I mean, maybe not uh, seven of the eight points. I mean, I, I said that if they didn't get, uh, you know, three of the four wins, that it would probably be, probably be a disappointment because, I mean, when you're playing uh, teams that are out of the playoffs, you know, teams like Philly and, and you know, in Montreal, I mean, certainly you would expect they're the, the, the last place team in the league that you would get uh, points in there. And Ottawa, I mean, I thought Toronto would be the, the, the game that they would have the, the most trouble with. And, I think of all the three games, I think it was the easiest game for them as they seem to rise to the occasion. And I, I think that's, that's pretty normal is that, you know, when you, when you uh, are playing against a really good team, uh, I think you, you work twice as hard. And I think you're, you're more, um, you know, up for the game. And I think we saw that in Toronto, a lot of the guys from Toronto as well. Uh, so I think they got a lot more to play for, but um, you know Ottawa is going to continue to to beat. I mean Ottawa won last night. They beat Minnesota because I mean they're a team that uh, is going to continue to get excited about playing. They're playing for their jobs, and 
instead of anything else. And I, and I think you're seeing that in Montreal. You're going to see it in Philly. And these teams that are in the playoffs are still going to continue to play. And you have to, I think, be a lot more um, – you can't be relaxed. Let's put it that way. You've got to go in those with with a business uh, attitude in there and make sure you get the wins. But uh, I think to get seven or eight points obviously is great on the trip. Hall of Famer Bernie Federico with us on 101 ESPN. And Bernie, since last we spoke, former Blues president and general manager and coach Emil Francis passed away at the age of 95. There were some wild and crazy times when Emil was your president general manager, and coach, what are your strongest memories of your time with Emil Francis here in St. Louis? Well, Randy, I was really lucky to be able to, you know, to be uh, groomed by, by Emil Francis. I mean, uh, he gave me the first opportunity, drafted me, and, and you know, was my first coach here in, in, the, in the NHL as well. And, uh, you know, I've never met a guy that, that really uh, was such a leader, was, was, was so intense, and had so much fire burning in his belly. I mean, uh, he wasn't a big man, but boy, I tell you what, he, he brought fear and struck fear in everybody uh, just looking at him, I mean, just you could see the fire in his eyes. And, um, you know, he just did everything he could to, you know, for the Blues. He gave, like I said, he gave me every opportunity. And uh, he was a, a big part of, of you know, my success in, in, in hockey and, and in life. I mean, he was a fathery figure, obviously, uh, you know, to me as well here uh, for the time that, that I was, you know, working for him. And, and uh, I can't say enough about him. I mean, all the way through. Um, you know, my career, uh, you know, he was, was always, was always there, even when he was in, in, in you know, in Hartford, I, I got a chance to talk to him all the time. And, and even since I retired, I mean, he was a big part of, 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 you know, my induction into the hockey hall of fame as well. Um, you know, he was always, uh, on my side and, and he certainly will, will, will be missed because I mean, uh, if there was ever a winner out there, it, it was Emil Francis. And Bernie, as a young player, you used that word great leader and there was so much turmoil going on organizationally. I, I would guess as a young player, you're just trying to concentrate on your game, but it seemed to me like Emil was able to kind of shield the players from the stuff that was going on upstairs. He he did, Randy. I mean, he he basically just told us to play. You know, don't worry about what's going on. You've got a job to do on the ice. You know what he told me, Bernie. I drafted you to, you know, to score goals, to be a part of you know our our you know offensive uh, uh, on you know slot to 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 uh, you know win you know be the nucleus of this team to you know to to make sure that we're going to be Stanley Cup contenders and and you know all the turmoil that was going on. First of all, it was the Solomons, you know, in '77 selling the team, and then you know Mr. Francis was able to find. Uh, you know, Ralston Furino to jump in. And of course, you know, what, what happened in 83 there, uh, you know, a lot more stuff happened. We were going to move, we were going to Saskatoon and, you know, he had to put up with all that. I mean, he ended up, you know, he go, went to Hartford right after that. He didn't have a contract either, but uh, I think he was still, you know, a major responsible, you know, was responsible for keeping the team here in St. Louis and, and, you know, helping the NHL find someone uh, to come in here, which was Harry Arnest at the time. But, uh, you know, he was, um, a big part of the St. Louis Blues, and, and you know what? Uh, obviously, everybody knows his success with the Rangers, but um, you know he really, really uh, he was focused on making sure that, that that the team survived here, and he just made sure that we just worried about playing hockey. One last thing for me, Bernie, and I want to go back to Jordan Bennington. Obviously, Billy Huso has been the hot hand, but you had a strong performance out of Benner last night. If you were Craig Bruby, who would you put between the pipes Friday versus Buffalo? Well, I tell you what, that, <laughs> that's a that's a good question. I mean, I think right now that uh, the situation is probably Michelle is going to be whoever Craig just feels, you know, at the time. I mean, both of them are playing well. I mean, they've got a lot of games coming up. I mean, uh, right now you've got, you know, Friday and Sunday afternoon, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're back to New York and you've got, 
you know, three games and four nights. And there's a lot of hockey. So I, I wouldn't be surprised you see a lot more splits now. I think maybe back-to-back. Obviously, they're, he's not going to play the same goaltender. But I still think he's going to ride a hot hand. I mean, Huso has played very well. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you, if we see Huso again on, on Friday night and then maybe Jordan on Sunday afternoon uh, in Chicago. So uh, I think this is a really good problem to have when you have two goaltenders that are that are playing well. And, and you certainly got to make sure you continue to ride Huso because he is still a hot hand. And uh, But but obviously, you, you want to have them both ready to play when, when it comes to playoff time. Bernie Federko, always good to talk to you. Uh, be safe in this uh, in this cold and nasty weather outside, and we will talk to you next week. Sounds good. You guys have a great day, too. Thanks. That's the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federko on 101 ESPN. Michelle, as Mike Claiborne said yesterday, and Bernie mentioned it, the St. Louis Blues would not be in existence were it not for Emil Francis. Mm-hmm. We would have either lost them to Hamilton in the 70s when the Solomons sold the team, or Ralston Purina literally left the club at the doorstep of the league. Ralston Purina said, we don't want anything to do with hockey anymore. We aren't going to sell the team. We're just going to leave it right on the doorstep of the NHL. 1983 draft, the Blues didn't have any employees. They they had one player go to the draft, and they didn't even participate in the 1983 NHL draft. And fortunately, the league was able to find, with the assistance of Emil Francis, Harry Ornest, who came in and bought the club and owned it for several years. But it's not a stretch by any stretch to say that if Emil Francis would not have been there to help, that the Blues would not have won the Stanley Cup in 2019. We wouldn't have this franchise. How many times, Randy, in your lifetime did you think the Blues could be packing up and heading out of town? Four. Wow, that's a lot. (laughs) That is. That is a lot. Yep. Mid-70s, 83, and then when the franchise got sold to Bill Laurie, uh, that was in the 90s, and then it was close when Dave Checkett's Dave Checkett's kind of left the club at the doorstep of the league too before Tom Stillman bought it, and there was concern then. And Gary Bettman really has protected St. Louis twice to make sure that we didn't lose our franchise. We, if we ever win a Stanley Cup at home, and Gary Bettman's on the ice, we better cheer him because we wouldn't have a, a team to cheer for the Stanley Cup if it weren't for Gary Bettman. And not only has he protected St. Louis, but think about all the events yep. that he's brought to St. Louis. He really has been in our city's corner. He has. And by the way, the Hamilton situation. There was a crusty old owner of the Maple Leafs named Harold Ballard and a guy named Bill Hunter, I think it was. Hunter wanted to move him to Saskatoon. Somebody else wanted to move him to Hamilton. And when the suggestion was brought up of the Blues moving to Hamilton, Ontario, Harold Ballard said, over my dead body. And he, there were a couple of owners in charge of the league then, him and, and Bill Wirtz of the Blackhawks. And it was because of Harold Ballard that the Blues did not move. Wow. Because they, that vote would have taken place, and Harold Ballard, if he didn't step up, we would have lost the franchise. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and the fight is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the fight on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. If you weren't listening yesterday, we had a Randy versus Randy fight. It was a battle of the Randys. Randy C versus, of course, Randy K and Randy Carriker. Our opposition, Randy C, 
in a close fight yesterday, beat Randy Carricker in the tiebreaker round. So he is back today to defend his title and hopefully win today and get one step closer to the Hall of Fame. Randy C., good morning. How are you? I'm good, Randy. I'm being Michelle and Randy. Thank you very much. Hey, I just want to mention it hit me yesterday that the show did its job on 2-22-22. We had two Randys. We each got two rights. And the difference between the winning answer on Freddie Pritikos points was two. Wow. We fit the day well. Thank you very much. Well done. Uh, well done by you, Randy, because we couldn't have done that without your participation. So thank you not only for, very much. for hanging out with us, but for doing that homework. Because you're right. It was a battle of the twos. Yes. All right. Are you ready to take on Randy again I today? Already. Let's do it. I can tell, Randy. I love your energy. You're firing me up. Okay. Thank you. Question number one for Randy C. During the strike-shortened 1994 Major League Baseball season, what team had the best record when play was stopped? Was it the New York Yankees, the Montreal Expos, or the Atlanta Braves? The Montreal Expos. Who has stolen the most bases against Yadier Molina in his career? Is it Carlos Gomez, D. Gordon, or Billy Hamilton? I'm going to say Billy Hamilton. Question number three for Randy C. In last night's win over the Flyers, Jordan Bennington saved the same amount of shots in his now legendary January 7th, 2019 shutout. How many saves did Binner have? 23, 28, or 25? Twenty-five. And who was the last pitcher to win the Cy Young Award in a season when he also won the World Series? Is it Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, or Madison Bumgarner? We're going to need an answer, Randy. Madison Bumgarner. All right, checking our score for Randy C., Waving in, Randy K. Randy C., how you feeling? Okay, not great, but not terrible. Is there one question in particular that is making you feel not great? Uh, that last question, I'm a little uh, iffy on. Mm-hmm. That was a tough one. That was a tough one. Randy K., say good morning to Randy C. He beat you yesterday, remember him? Yeah, Randy C., welcome back. How you doing? I'm doing good, Randy. Thank you very much for having me, and thank you very much for doing the show. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. Just like in South Africa, they say pleasure. When you pleasure. when you say thank you, instead of saying you're welcome, they say pleasure. Oh, so at uh, our friends at Chick Fil A, they say my pleasure. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, South They're Africa Chick Fil A. That's how I'm going to answer Randy today at the end of the show. My pleasure. My pleasure. There's no, there's pleasure. Okay, Randy. K, are you ready? Ready. During the strike-shortened 1994 Major League Baseball season, mm-hmm. what team had the best record when play was stopped? I would suggest that it would have been. Uh, actually, the result was the team moving. It was the Montreal Expos. Who has the most stolen bases against Yadier Molina in his career? Hmm. Good. I'll do the lifeline here. Is it Carlos Gomez, D. Gordon, or Billy Hamilton? Okay. Hmm. Billy Hamilton got Yadi a few times. D. Gordon, Doyers, Billy Hamilton was in the same division too. Carlos Gomez was also in the same division for a while. But I'm going to go with Billy Hamilton, sliding Billy Hamilton. 
Question number three. In last night's win over the Flyers, Jordan Bennington saved the same amount of shots as his now legendary January 7th, 2019 shutout. How many saves did Benner have? 25. And who was the last pitcher to win the Cy Young Award in a season when he also won the World Series? Cy Young and World Series in the same year. This does not happen as often as you would think. Uh, World Series champ and Cy Young. I'm just going to throw one at the wall here. This No, that's not a good idea. <laughs> um, for the window. Okay. Lincecum was eight and nine, and they won in ten. Uh, trying to think here of really good pitchers. Maybe I should think of world champions instead. Uh, let's see. I'll. Hmm. The last guy to do it, eight. So he had the Phillies win. But I don't think Cliff Lee did. Seven. Um, certainly nobody on that. Well, you know what? No, he never did. Um, six. The Cardinals did have a Cy Young Award winner. Oh, six, five, four. Okay, I will um, I see the gears turning. Yeah, this is kind of a hassle. Um, <laughs> three. Uh, let's see. Your two thousand. Can't tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, well, no, it's just I'm I'm, I'm going back. <laughs> I, I was thinking Clemens, but Clemens never won a Cy Young with the Yankees. Once, I don't think that he won with New York. Uh I don't think he won the world the Cy Young Award with the Yankees, but he's logical choice. You know what though? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go big unit. I'm gonna say 01, big unit, Randy Johnson. This was one of the most epic fights we've ever had. Both Randys were tied up until the last question. Did Randy C or Randy K pull out the correct answer on number four? Is Randy C coming back to see another day? Matt, let him know. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! Just win, baby. Randy C., I am sorry, but this is why he's Megamind. It took him a minute to get there. You saw the gear. Well, we saw the gears turning. Yes. Randy Carricker pulled it out on question number four. He gets the jack. He got all four correct. He beat you four to three. It was a close fight, though. Yeah, I almost took Randy. I should have taken our name, Randy's. You know, that would have made sense. Yeah. Who, who did you take, Randy C.? I said Madison Baumgartner. Oh, Mad Bum, yeah. Yeah, which was a good pick. Has he ever won a Cy Young? That was the thing. He's he finished mm-hmm. second. He finished second in one of the years they won the championship. Yeah, tough. Yeah. Tough. Well, Randy C., you were a great opponent. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great rest of your weekend. Stay warm and safe out there. Same to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Randy, and we really do appreciate you being a listener.
Thank you. All right, let's run through our answers. So during the strike-shortened 1994 Major League Baseball season, the Montreal Expos had the best record when play was stopped. 74-40 and 40 was the record when play was stopped. Billy Hamilton has stolen the most bases against Yadier Molina in his career. He's speedy, that Billy Hamilton. Yeah, it's not particularly close either. Jordan Bennington have the, has saved the same amount of shots last night and in his now legendary January 17th, 7th, let me start over, January 7th, 2019 shutout. And though he had... 25 saves in both of those games, if I could get any of that out. And Randy Johnson was the last pitcher to win the Cy Young Award in a season where he also won the World Series. So, good fight by Randy C., but Megamind, congratulations. Thanks, Michelle. I do appreciate it. Clemens did win one the year after the two in a row with the Yankees. So, what you you said? So, it was Clemens. uh, So, he... So he won. He won Cy Youngs back to back in ninety seven, ninety eight. Sorry, he, and then he won the World Series with the Yankees, and then he won a Cy Young in, in two thousand one. Got it. When Randy Got Johnson it. in the NL was doing the same thing. Okay. So uh, just so we know, Danny Mac check, checking in on the text line. He said, "Great job, Randy K. I got four for four. No big deal. Just win, baby. That's how we do." <laughs> that's my man. That's my man. Danny that's Mac. Danny Mac. Hey, coming up. Why aren't the Olympics as popular as they used to be? I had an epiphany last night, and I'm going to tell you what it is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good to have you with us on Carriker and Smallman and Michelle. We've talked a little bit about how the Winter Olympics were just not successful at all. There was very little interest. There was very low TV ratings. And I'm wondering why. And I said, I think it's because of the star power that's lacking. And then you wonder why we, we didn't have star power. Why didn't people know who Nathan Chen was? Why was really the only Olympian that casual fans knew about the the skier who wound up actually falling a couple of times, uh, Michaela Schifrin. And, Sean White. Yeah, and Sean White at the age of 35 was kind of past his prime. And I was thinking about how through the years, from the time I was a kid all the way up until now, I, I remember seeing a Sports Illustrated cover with Eric Hyden in 1980 and Dan Jansen after that and Bonnie Blair for the Winter Olympics mm-hmm. and uh, Bodie Miller and Apollo Ono and Lindsey Vaughn. And they're all showing up on either the cover of Sports Illustrated or there's huge features on USA Today. And people would read about it in the paper. And then heading into the Olympics, you knew who the Olympians were. The print media was able to build stars. Mm-hmm. Well, in our lifetimes, we've experienced essentially the death of print media, of actually turning pages and seeing pictures of people. Oh, I know. That's what Tara Lipinski looks like. That's what Michelle Kwan looks like. And we don't see those people before the Olympics anymore. So the only way for Olympic stars to be built up is really by NBC. And by the way, we we also had ESPN, the magazine, for a while. We don't have that anymore. I really do think that a large portion of the reason that we don't have Olympic stars anymore is because we don't get to know them through print anymore. But don't you think it would be easier for us to get to know them with the emergence of so many visual platforms like social media? If we were looking to see what Tara Lipinski looked like, now we can see it on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. You don't even know who she is. Those people were introduced. When you see Lindsey Vaughn in her ski suit on the cover of Sports Illustrated, 
people didn't even know what her name was. And then she shows up on the cover of SI and people say, oh, I'm going to watch Lindsey Vonn in the Olympics. I think now, though, it should be easier for us to have access to these athletes and it should be easier for us to be inundated with media telling us who these stars are. I think how. Because we should be more networks should be talking about, you know what I think? I think that people don't care about the Olympics because they don't care about their country anymore. Before we wanted to seek this out because we wanted to cheer for the people who were representing our nation. It didn't really matter who the star was as long as they were wearing the stars and the stripes. How many people we didn't know about but became stars through the Olympics because we were all watching it. It was appointment viewing. But I think as not to bring politics into this, but I just think as our country continues to be fractured, we've lost a little bit of that nationalism. And that sense of, I need to turn on the TV because I want to see America on the world stage dominating. But I got the sense that the country rallied around Michael Phelps and that when he was winning all those gold medals, people were But think about how different him. things are now from that Summer Olympics. I mean, our country has had a pretty big divide. Yeah. I, I, I don't... I don't know that the Olympics have been that politicized that both sides of the political spectrum hate one side or the other. I, I think that's one thing that we should be able to get on board with is sports and and the Olympics. Uh, uh, maybe if somebody says something political that causes half of the country to not like them, that would be it. But I don't think that there was anything in these Winter Olympics where anything was really, uh, aside from the fact that they were held in China, where, where there was an athlete that was politicized so half the country hated him. No, I don't think that there's the games being politicized or that there was an athlete that's being politicized. I just think the general sense of the pride that we used to have and being an American mm-hmm. has lessened over time. And it's kind of sad, but before you, you made it a point to wear something that had a, the USA on it and you were getting together with your friends to watch the Olympics. And now I think more people would rather watch something on Netflix. See, and I think if we went into an Olympics and there was an Apollo Ono, and the country knew who Apollo Ono was, and he had been dominant up until the Olympics. I think people would still tune in. Why did we? Why did we care so much about the Christy Yamaguchi's and the Michelle Kwans in the late '90s and the early 2000s? Yeah, why was that such a big like? Because I remember in my household, like that was the Winter Olympics. My like my family watched that, and like it was it was a thing, and. It felt like that was kind of a thing that everyone in the nation was kind of like locked in on was the was the skating ice skating every every winter Olympics. Right. Why was that such a big thing and, then now and just doesn't have the same pull? And it would if there were a great American, but the best American this year finished in seventh place, and that's where pro- she probably deserved yeah. and was projected to finish. We didn't have somebody. You know what we really need? It, what we really need is we need a Kerrigan Harding scandal. We, but, we need somebody to get whacked. But why do we need a scandal for us to want to watch our country compete in the Olympics? Because America. we need recognizable people. And it, that's why I'm saying the print media used to make people recognizable. Now, there you are going through a grocery line and seeing a star in the making in your face. And when you hop on Twitter, you you like what you like and you follow what you follow. It's not in your face. And to me, that's what the difference is, is that we don't go into Olympics with stars anymore. And NBC, and this goes back to you saying, I'll find something on Netflix to watch. If NBC is doing the skiing championships there are so many options other than the the skiing that people will will find that i do think that just having less places to 
get entertainment benefited the Olympics in the past. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, with it being in a different time zone, a lot of times you you wake up in the morning and you see a result on your timeline and you don't necessarily need to watch a replay or watch it when it's available to mm-hmm. you on on NBC. That factors into it as well. But I just think when you think back to when we were kids, we didn't have any other options. We And there was just this general sense of, I don't really care what your views are, but we're all in this together, where I don't really feel like anything has united us from an Olympic standpoint. I mean, think about the Summer Olympics even. Simone Biles is perhaps one of the greatest Olympians, one of the greatest single athletes that we'll ever see in our lives, and she would have gotten pub regardless. She would have not gotten an ounce of the publication she got and had there not been a controversy or a talking point or for as some people viewed it a scandal the conversation was about mental health not about her representing our country but i think if she wins a gold again and she achieves the dominance that she had displayed up until that point i i think we would have heard about that a lot I, I think that she would have been the star of the olympics and if she if she's participating i think the TV ratings are off the charts. I think they're good, but I just think if if we're building a show for ESPN on Get Up and that happened and there's the NBA finals and there's some sort of quarterback move, is it, is it number one on the docket? Are we talking about Simone winning gold first? Probably not. It's probably at the bottom of the A block. Whereas before, decades ago, an American like Simone Biles winning the gold in the Olympics mm-hmm. would have been what every show led with that morning. See, and I still think that would be a big deal because I, I go back to Phelps. And his dominance. I still think that a dominant Olympia, a dominant American Olympian becomes a major American star. Perhaps. It depends on the sport, I think, too. You know, we we've had success in gymnastics and what they do mm-hmm. is something physically that blows our minds. Of course, we're going to cheer for basketball when it's NBA players that we're familiar with. Right. But if there's an American that comparable to the rest of the world is a stud at luge, are we really going to focus on that? Are we no, going to be like, no. oh, so, so-and-so so is the king of the luge? Probably not. We, Depends a, on the sport. As a country, we have our sports that we like. We just probably named, uh, I think there's been seven American figure skating, skating gold medal women. I was like seven years old when these people yeah. were famous. And yeah, and Tara Lipinski. I think, I think we've named like five one. or six of them here. We, we know who they are. Mm-hmm. We, we named Schifrin and Vaughn. We, we named Bodie Miller. The people that were made stars. I don't think you could ever be a curling superstar in America. Yeah, I'll never forget. Right? I'll never forget. Or, or a biathlon. Don't don't tell Mark Bulger. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> Don't tell no. Mark Bulger that. Do you think? Do you think anything comes to with a casual fan to the, the way that? I mean, the Olympics, the shine has been lost because we now all know every single um, stadium that was used in Brazil is overgrown and unused. All the thing, well, a bunch of stuff that was used in China just years ago is uh, it was it was unused in this Olympics. We know that when a lot of these countries get it, that is in America. These things hurt the country they just they it ruins everything is there any shine just coming off the olympics overall because of that i don't think that's it because i i, I really it. think that the primary demographic for the olympics is the soccer mom and i don't think that they care about the fact that there are unused stadiums in other countries no i don't they're, think so they're tuning in to see their gymnastics and they're tuning in to see their figure skating and the guys are tuning in to see the fastest guy in the world we we love to see the 100 meter dash right yeah they're, we we have our sports that we like and i i don't think most people really care that stadiums are going unused but this goes back to our conversation about the Cardinals and about watching games and are going to games. How many sporting events are tr- outside of the Super Bowl mm-hmm. are truly must watch? 
absolute must watch. There is a huge swath of this country that doesn't think that the World Series is a must watch. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's a lot of people in St. Louis that do not think the NBA Finals are must watch. The Olympics used to be in that Super Bowl category where it was so rare and it was for all of us. If you were a sports fan, it was a must watch. I just think now we're oversaturated with content. We're oversaturated with information and the way that we view things is that it's not imperative anymore. And I think that's why. And I don't know if it's possible again. Again, because we aren't seeing these people, we aren't seeing pictures of these people. Somehow, some way, we need to find a way to build an American Olympic superstar. And that's what people will tune in for. People will tune in for LeBron. People will tune in for Tom Brady. People will uh, tune in for... Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, right. But is is it even possible to build that superstar anymore? I don't think it is, for the myriad reasons that we just discussed. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that play into it, but I, I truly believe that down to the core of it, we need to care more about our country. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and hey, the fact of the matter is, Sports Illustrated built a lot of stars. Oh, the Sports Illustrated cover was it. And now Sports Illustrated just isn't anymore. That's Michelle. That's Matt. I'm Randy. And coming up, Doug Peterson doesn't think that the Jaguars losing culture is a very big deal. I think it is. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle, a really interesting story (laughs) over the course of the last couple of days. Doug Peterson introduced in doing the media tour in Jacksonville. And he says that when asked about the long losing culture in Jacksonville, they've only had one winning season in the last 10 years. He said, I'm not really concerned about the losing culture. He said, "I'm, I'm only worried about the future. I really do think that when you have a losing culture, And by the way, I think that Shad Khan has a lot to do with that losing culture. Mm -hmm. You have to diagnose what the issues are. When Dick Vermeil came to St. Louis, and he was the president of football operations, so he had control of the building over there. He had to diagnose why the Rams had the worst record in the decade leading up to him taking over and then fix it. I, I think to fix the future, you need to learn from the past and why you are where you are. Well, unfortunately, it seems like the only common thread really is ownership and them putting the wrong people in charge. So I'm kind of with Doug Peterson because he's built a winning culture before he's won in Philadelphia before. And he's done so with a lot of internal turmoil. We heard all the stories about Howie Roseman and Carson Wentz and Jeffrey Lurie and the power struggle that goes on there. So I think he understands that ownership has got to stay out of this and allow him to build it the way that he wants to build it. And even if players have been a part of that losing culture that still remain from from regime to regime, if they get on board with the messaging that Doug Peterson is saying now in the present, that the past doesn't really matter. They can turn the page as long as they follow what he's saying now. Now, one thing about Philly is that it was nowhere close to what Jacksonville was uh, they have Chip Kelly go ten and six, ten and six in his first two years. Then he gets fired after going seven and nine, and then Peterson goes seven and nine before winning the Super Bowl. Philly wasn't near the depths of cultural losing that Jacksonville is, and 
we've seen it here, and it never did get turned around here after it spiraled out of control with the Rams at the end. But if you have a general manager that multiple coaches wouldn't even interview with your team because of, I think that's an issue that Shad Khan and Tony Khan need to take a look at. They have to say, okay, well, why wouldn't these people want to interview with us because of our general manager? Peterson wanted a job, and maybe ultimately Peterson will wind up with more juice, more power in Jacksonville. I just hope that he understands, because he seems like a nice guy, and I I would like to see him win there, and I would like to see Trevor Lawrence win there. Right. I hope that they can kind of figure out why things have gone so badly for the Jaguars. That's what needs to happen is that Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence need to get in alignment because if you have those two guys going to ownership, to the cons, and saying, I came from Philadelphia where I produced a Super Bowl championship with Nick Foles as the quarterback, mm-hmm. no less. And you have Trevor Lawrence who says, I was the best player in college football. I've won national championships. I've been at the top of the mountaintop. What's happening here is not going to have success. If you have those two going to ownership, pointing out the general manager or perhaps things that have happened in the past, you'd be pretty smart if you were the cons to get on the side of those two guys. Yep. And Randy, you saw a former Philadelphia Eagles coach come into a team that needed a culture change and shifted up pretty well in the mid-90s there with Dick Vermeer. And, and and you we talked about this off the air yesterday. I mean, talk about a culture shift and, and changing the the attitude in the building with with staff hirings and things like that. With what he did in the nineties. Well, and there were two things. And as Coach told us last time we talked to him, you can't win because you outwork the opposition anymore because everybody gets the same amount of work to do. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that DV had with that power was, as he called it, he, he got a, had the opportunity to pull the weeds. Being the general manager, he got a chance to weed out the bad guys and plug them plug in his own good guys. And I don't know if Trent Balky, who apparently has personnel control in Jacksonville, is going to allow Peterson to do that. Peterson says, I don't know Trent Balky that well. I hope I get to know him well. But I think what they need to do, because Peterson does have a winning pedigree. He's worked with Andy Reid. He worked with a great Philadelphia organization under Reid and obviously won the Super Bowl. If I'm Shad Khan, I'm telling Doug Peterson, look, if you need to get rid of player X because he's a problem, then you have the power to get rid of him. Ultimately, that's what you need to do. If you want to build, and by the way, that doesn't only apply to players, Mm -hmm. but it also applies to front office people. If you need to replace front office people to be as good as you can be, you go ahead and do it. Give the power to that. Give the power to your coach. And not only that, the players that have been involved in this losing culture, think about what happened this past season when Urban Meyer was Mm -hmm. with, came in Nebraska and didn't make the team plane and it was a hot mess. They were going to reporters talking about what a hot mess it was. These are people that obviously are very competitive and want to win, and it seems like they've been craving stability and craving leadership and craving someone to show them how to be a stable and winning franchise. So Mm -hmm. it seems to me, based on what we saw out of Jacksonville last season, that these players would look at someone like Doug Peterson and say, you know what to do, I'm going to listen. I hope so, because you're 100% right that Urban Meyer practically fostered the bad culture there. He if they had a bad culture, it was because of the things that he was doing. When you go to your kicker and kick your kicker during a preseason game, and everybody knows about it, mm-hmm. all the players did. We didn't know about it until after the season. Or when you have your escapade with uh, with Cayman, Nebraska, where you're, you're you're checking some oil there. It's it's just not a really good look for an organization when your head coach does that sort of thing. I hate Randy that because of you, I know that young lady's name. <laughs> And I love it that you know it. 
Why do I know who that is? I yeah. should never know her government name is Cayman, Nebraska. And by all accounts, a sweetie, according to her mom. Yeah, I mean. That's her real name? Yeah. It's her government name. Is Cayman, Nebraska? Mm-hmm. I thought that was a and by the way, those are only I allegations. Thought, I thought that no, was there's a, no proof of it. I thought that was a joke. That's no, actually her. Go- that's, that's her name, according to Randy, and um, according well, to the interwebs. Yeah, oh, according man, to the I'm interwebs, that's supposed to forget that. Well, just here, just uh, oh. everybody's got Google now, Matthew. So here, let's just do uh, C A Y. It's like the Cayman Islands, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's a, like you you put in Cayman and it doesn't go to islands; it goes to Nebraska. It does it really? <laughs> you know, you now what? is that you curated know. towards your Google searches, Randy? Because Perhaps. I have learned that Google pays attention and the things that you search, it pulls up first. Yeah, so that true. tells me you've been searching Cayman, Nebraska a lot. You know what they much. say, Randy? You don't play poker against somebody named after a city, and you don't cheat on your wife with somebody named after two. <laughs> I think it's an axiom. I've heard it before. Yeah. She is still on the Insta, by the way. Oh, shout out. Why wouldn't she be? Do you follow her? I will now. I I get too much content from Scooty Booty, by the way. Oh, Scooty Booty. You can mute. all over the Insta You can mute mute if you want. No, I'm not going to. No. Because you never know when something exciting is going to happen. That's right. We need the Scooty content. What has Scooty been up to? She's all over. Tell us. Uh, Again, why do I know Scooty Booty? Randy. uh, That's Devin Bush's (laughs) girlfriend. These are the things that you talk about that I know. Who was the other one? Um... In the Larsa Pippen drama, uh, Montana Yao. Montana Yao. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah, she's awesome. And then, uh, <laughs> and then the ex-wife of Evander Kane, Anna Kane. Yeah, so she's. If you want to follow Randy and all of these yeah. wags on Instagram, you can yeah. follow them at RJ Character. Anna Kane has, and it's probably not her fault, but she's got some issues. So anyway, she's got her life out there on the Insta. She does. Anna. Oh yeah, nice. yeah, big time. Uh, hold on, let's find some... Scooty is, by the way, an accomplished dental hygienist. Should we get Scooty on the show? I think that'd be so fun. For the I think, amount of time we talk yeah. about... She probably has no idea that a sports radio show in St. Louis, Missouri, talks about her Instagram content. No, oh, But Randy loves her. Randy loves a little Scooty booty. Uh, Scooty's... She's rocking and rolling. She's great. <laughs> so I'm trying to find if she's got any recent stories. It doesn't appear as if she does. So anyway, this... Uh, this little uh, segment has gone off the rails. It has. Uh, from Doug Peterson and Bag Culture to Scooty Booty. Well, speaking of going off the rails, let's talk about Aaron Rodgers next. On 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, there's news coming out. Our friends at uh, Lindenwood are going to, that's my my alma mater, and they're going to hold a press conference this morning at 11. And word just released to all of their faculty and all of the people at Lindenwood that an exciting moment in the history of Lindenwood University as they will transition to NCAA Division One. Wow, congratulations. So, yeah, go Big Lions. announcement. Yeah. Go Lions. Yeah. yeah, so they'll have a press conference coming up, but that uh, just got that email from somebody on their staff, and so that's good news. Where will they be in D1? They'll play in the Ohio Valley Conference. All right, so Ohio be, Valley. Yeah, so a little uh, SIUE 
rivalry, a little SEMO rivalry. That'll be great. Big step for Lindenwood. Awesome. Yeah, it is. It'll be great. Hey, Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee show yesterday, a day after have, writing a, what we thought was a pretty cryptic Instagram post in which he expressed gratitude to teammates and thanked people and made it sound like he was going to retire. Did you kind of think that uh, he was going to retire after you read that? Uh, I When I first read it, yes. When I finished it and thought about the person who was hitting send on the post, then I thought, <laughs> no, because this is a person that is very cerebral and loves to mess with us. He loves to mess with fans and the general public through the media. Now, Pat McAfee, to his credit, because they're they're teammates, they're partners, it's not really an interview that has any contentiousness. He asked Rogers about the cryptic nature of the Instagram post. Unless you've gone through certain experiences um, and had, you know, uh, frustration and, and, and been near the bottom and then get near the top and understand the uh, the beauty in life and uh, I think that's, then you might say things about that. That's a cryptic message. I mean, there's nothing cryptic about gratitude. You know, I just came out of a 12-day cleanse where you're eating a specific diet and you're going through these treatments every day and you're not really doing anything else. you got to kind of turn everything else off and, and so, you know, you're not working out, you're not straining or anything. It's kind of a recentering. A 12-day cleanse. 12-day cleanse is too weird. Which is, well, we got into the details of the cleanse a little earlier. Mm -hmm. And it involves vomiting. It involves colonics, massages, oils. You can't watch TV, be on social media, any of that. So I imagine if you're removed from all of that and you're throwing up a lot, of course you're going to be grateful for the positive things in your life. I think so. A-Rod, the cleanse, what the what? Yeah, let me just put this disclaimer out right away for the... The uh, the few people watching that are tuning in just for a specific uh, maybe news or decision, there will be no news today, no decision on, on my future. Uh, as I was texting with you yesterday, I just got out of a 12-day Panchakarma. Uh, look that up. Uh, I know you did after we talked. Uh, <laughs> but it's a cleanse that you know originated in India. It's been going on for thousands of years. And it's something I've done in the off season, so I'm just getting my head above above the sand now and uh, seeing what's going on out there. But um, but no decision about my future today. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Which after 12 days of that, I would Im- I would imagine that my brain might be a little foggy, or maybe it's clear. I don't really know. But I do know that Aaron Rodgers is somebody that likes to do a little wink towards everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about some of these Pat McAfee interviews that he's done, whether he's wearing a certain t-shirt to get people talking, or he's placing a certain book on his bookshelf that he might not have even have read to get people talking. He likes to play games with us. And I, I understand the thought of coming out of a cleanse like this and feeling an immense amount of gratitude for your body and for the positive things in your life, especially if this is something you've been reflecting on mm-hmm. for 12 days when you can't do anything else. But make no mistake, Aaron Rodgers knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that by posting pictures of his teammates saying, you know, no matter how long we are in this league, these friendships will remain past the time we're in the NFL. And he knows that posting that in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. the day before he goes on with Pat McAfee, is going to get everybody talking about him. And more importantly, everybody tuned into that show to listen to what he has to say. So you're saying we're getting played by Aaron Rodgers. Big time. And shout out to Aaron Rodgers for knowing that he can play us. Now, as an aside, as of yesterday at this time, the cleaner body, Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady? Ooh, 
I'm going to have to go Rogers just because all he did for 12 days was essentially eat rice and veggies and do colonics and take laxatives. So I would imagine there's not much left in there. No, Not many toxins. Yeah, no but toxins. But Brady never has a toxin. Yeah, but it's the offseason. He's retired, Randy. You don't think after oh. he's air quote retired, I mean, the papers haven't come through yet, but you don't think that he had a slice or two of pizza or had his one cheat meal in 365? I mean, come on. Yeah, he's, he may have. He's maybe slammed a beer. We know that he can chug a beer faster than anybody. That's a good point. We've heard that report. So I would imagine even if he's not really going to retire, that he's had that one <laughs> to three cheat meals a year that he's going to do. It was a trick question. Tom Brady's blood is now holy water. So <laughs> the man is never going to die. Now... Aaron Rodgers has tried to kind of become a philosophizer. Yeah, he's he's been very existential over the past year year or two. He really has. <laughs> and when he said his future is a beautiful mystery, right, yeah. this, he really has been yeah. thinking about the bigger picture. So here's some of that uh, philosophizing from yesterday. When the home life is so great, uh, it, it and the work life is is good as well. It allows you to have work be a bonus. So work is no longer a refuge or home is no longer a refuge huh. where you have to get away from a certain environment to be able to thrive. When you're thriving at home and, and loving work, you know, work just becomes icing on the cake. And, you know, I was, I was teasing with, uh, with Matt uh, before, and I mentioned in my speech, uh, you know, two, three years together, two MVPs, there's no coincidences. Um, and I also was telling Shay, you know, I've been with you for two seasons, won two MVPs. Like, that's not a coincidence either. And I mean that. Actually, that is pretty deep and pretty profound mm-hmm. when you think about it, because how many of us work to live and not live to work? Or, excuse me, the other way around. Live to work, yeah. Live to work, not work to live. When you are so happy with your family life or yourself or everything that's going on at home, work becomes just that, what you do to make money. And it, it, it almost gives you a sense of excitement to go into work because everything in your life is going well. And you want to carry that over into your work performance and vice versa. And I think that that does play into what he was saying in the Instagram post, whether he was playing us or not, that he was happy over the past two years, regardless of all of this outside noise and speculation. He was really happy with himself and his personal life. And that permeated into his work life and allowed him to have so much success. All right. So a lot of belief here that he's going to retire. There was a very cryptic picture, the last picture in his post of... Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb side-by-side with a blank spot in the middle. Usually during the anthem, Aaron Rodgers is standing between Cobb and Adams. And a lot of people thought that that meant that he wasn't going to be there with those guys anymore. And McAfee asked him, what what did that picture mean? First of all, you're exactly right. And, and, you know, full transparency, when I got that message, I cried. You know, when I got that photo from from Randall and Devontae, you know, it, it brought tears to my eyes. Because that's my guy standing before the game, right? Randall's always on my right, Tay's on my left, and I embrace with both of them after the anthem. And it's it's a part of the pregame ritual, but also just a, a statement about friendship and love and, and the connection that, that we have uh, collectively and, and individually in our own friendships. And, you know, they held space and, and an open spot for me, the game I missed because of my positive COVID test. And that got me, man. And that's one of my favorite photos from the year. A couple things here. First of all, that is a very meaningful post. Mm -hmm. And if you're expressing gratitude towards your teammates, that's one that you would want to include where they are saying to you, it doesn't matter if you're here or not, we're going to hold it down for you and that you mean something to us. But Jordan Love wasn't going to do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> make, make no mistake, though, he knew what he was doing by including that post mm-hmm. or that photo in the post and having it be there at the end. But I also think that it's part of a bigger narrative that has existed about Aaron Rodgers, about him maybe being a little bit mysterious or having walls up or not being a great teammate. How many times have we heard in years past from guys who were in the locker room with him saying, I didn't even have his phone number. He was, you know, he didn't talk to me. And so I think this is Aaron Rodgers again, getting his own messaging about himself and his experience out to us through the media saying, actually, these are my brothers and I have a really close relationship with them and look at what they did for me when I wasn't there. He's coming back. He's coming back to the Packers. I think he's coming back, too. Well, I don't know if he's coming back to the Packers, but I don't think he's retiring. Well, he said he had great meetings with the Packers. He feels positive about them. They can bring back Devontae Adams. They can bring back Randall Cobb. They can bring back his buddies, David Bakhtiari, is under contract. All of his friends, the established group that he has there for his Friday parties and things like that. That's a comfort zone. Why why go start? And by the way, in terms of winning, Better chance, like he said about LaFleur. No coincidence that he's been together with LaFleur for three years and won a couple of MVPs. But is this someone that likes the comfort zone? He just went through a 12-day cleanse where he had to do colonics and take laxatives and eat only leafy greens. This is someone that thrives under pressure and that thrives in a challenge. And maybe he thinks that it is too comfortable and he is reflecting on all of the great times he's had there, saying essentially, I'm ready to wipe everything clean just like I did with my body, purge all the toxins and move on to the next. Gee, I, th- I think the opposite. I think that what he's saying is when, when he says that it made him cry when the his teammates did that for him, was the grass isn't always greener. Brett Favre didn't experience greener grass when he left for the Jets and then the Vikings. It's a, a great thought maybe to cleanse yourself of Green Bay. But I think you, you look around and you say, you know what, where else am I going to go where I'm going to be able to do what I do here? Especially in with the state of the division right now, yeah. I wouldn't want to go to the AFC if I was him. No way. No, I've floated. No, especially the AFC West. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Gloria, you're always on the run now. Running after somebody. I'm Michelle. On Friday from 5 to 7 at Copperfire in Belleville before the hockey game, enjoy 16 taps all served ice cold. Specialty slushies, including the Gloria cocktail, Michelle. That's right. It's great. You need to have it. It's all happening Friday from 5 to 7 with Michelle at Copper Fire in Belleville. Get more details at 101ESPN.com. Plus your chance to win a pair of passes to a session of your choice for the 2022 State Farm Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament. All you have to do is answer the phrase that pays coming up before the end of the show. And the phrase that pays is... Can we make it Gloria? If you'd like to. Well, I would love it because this is probably the last time we're going to get to play Gloria for a long... Yeah, crank it, crank it. Mm -hmm. The Blues beating the Flyers 4-1 to last night. So is the phrase that pays at the end of the show going to be play Gloria? Play Gloria, done. There we go. And uh, March Madness beginning with the 32nd Annual NBC Tournament. Find a bonus chance to win free tickets for Arch Madness at either 101ESPN.com or on your 101ESPN mobile app. And it's time for... 
So since I get to drive this segment, and I love hearing Gloria, and we haven't heard it in many years, and since the Bills, uh, the Blues beat the Flyers 4-1 to last night, in the place where Gloria started, I just thought I'd put a smile on everyone's face and play a little Gloria, because how can you be bummed out when you hear that song? You can't. You really can't. You, you can't. The, if you... If you at any point left your house and like went to a bar during the, those seven games, or just any time during that playoff run, if you were there at the end of the game, the just the immediateness with which the game ended, the staff would get the song going, and then everyone in the bar would just erupt. It was I'll, that that feeling was incredible, and every time you hear the song, you get a little bit of it back again. Or how about Enterprise Center after the game yeah. when you knew it was coming and you would hear it? It was the perfect song for so many reasons. One, because it has that beautiful build up, that crescendo mm-hmm. to play Gloria. I also think that none of us know any words past the first verse. I mean, I don't know any words in the second verse. Don't really need to. All I need to know is Colin Gloria. But it just brings you back to such a good time. And the fact that the Blues were back in Philly, back where Gloria started, Jordan Bennington back between the pipes where it all started for him in a strong performance. I just thought, you know what? Today's the day we're playing Gloria. Yeah, Bruins fans probably don't like it, but who cares? That song probably <laughs> makes Brad Marsh and cry. Oh, you think? Mm-hmm. You think he still cries about that? I would. I'm not even hating on him. I would that cry. Makes me smile even more. Do you think that he was copying the teary emoji, or is the teary emoji based on him? I think the tear emoji predates Marshan crying, okay. but you could send that, and I know that that's who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'm not even hating on him for crying, because had the Blues lost, I would have been crying way harder than Brad Marshan, and I wasn't even on the ice. That's true. I honestly think he was just, you know, he, he sees the longevity of the crying Jordan meme. He's he's like, you know what? I'm not gonna win the Stanley Cup. I need some I need some late late career revenue. I'll get the meme game going. Well done, Brad. Randy, let's talk about someone who's probably cried a lot in their NFL career, and that's Mitchell Trubisky. He (laughs) has had some rough times. After leaving Chicago, he went to Buffalo, and ESPN did a piece on him, and there's some interesting quotes coming out about this. So he said this about playing for the Bills. Trubisky said, quote, going to Buffalo really opened my eyes. After being in Chicago for four years, there was only one way I knew how to do things. Being in Buffalo and having a different way of doing things, you learn what's possible. It helped me get back to instinctual football and using my talents rather than overthinking. So a lot of people in Chicago saying this is pointed squarely at Matt Nagy and Matt Nagy did you break Mitchell Trubisky? I think as an organization they probably broke Mitchell Trubisky and I think that the guy not that he could be rehabilitated but I I think he might be able to be habilitated if there is such a thing because he never really had a chance to be Great. And here's one of the things. Bill Parcells always said that a quarterback, for him, should have 30 college starts. And Mitchell Trubisky had 13 in college. He started 50 games with the Bears. He had virtually no experience when the Bears drafted him. And then they throw him into the fire right away. And it's just not fair to a quarterback. You've got to get a guy experience at some point. And if the guy doesn't play in college, then you, you've got to let him sit around on the bench for a while. And I think he was in a huge disservice, not only by Nagy, but by the Bears organization. Well, a guy who knows a little something about being a strong quarterback is Josh Allen, who's obviously in the quarterback room with Mitch Trubisky every day. And again, this is from Jeremy Fowler at ESPN. But Josh Allen had this to say about 
about Mitch. He said, the dude is an athlete. I don't think people really understand that. You give him leeway in an offense to have that mindset of see it, do it, we trust you. He's going to kill it. And I just thought that that was an interesting phrase. See it, do it, we trust you. Because if you pair what Mitchell Trubisky said about getting back to instinctual football, Josh Allen saying he needs someone to allow him to be himself as a player and to trust him. I'm sure that there's an organization out there that wants to give him a chance. And if they give him that leeway and that trust, we might see a different version of Mitchell Trubisky. Now, a team that and a coach that can't afford to do it is where he went to school, North North Carolina. He would be an interesting addition for the Panthers. I don't think Michelle, and, and this is really a shame because, like I said, I think the guy is talented. I don't think there's a team in the league where you can say, okay, we can sign him as a starter. Pittsburgh? Do, do the Steelers sign him as a starter? He's, he's got a higher upside than Mason Rudolph. Sure, but I think the Steelers are probably going to look for a bigger fish than Mitchell Trubisky, even if he does have something left in the tank. I would imagine the Steelers are going to try to land a Russell Wilson or perhaps an Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers before they go down to the Mitchell Trubisky's of the world. If you're Denver and you had Teddy Bridgewater last year, now you have a new coach this year, and maybe Nathaniel Hackett, was in the same division with the guy for a few years. Maybe he thinks, okay, I can get more out of this guy than I can get out of Drew Locke. But if you're a Broncos fan, you say, well, why'd you bring another Drew Locke in here? Yeah, I don't know if you can sell that one to your fan base. It's so interesting because everything in the NFL world is going to be at a standstill until Aaron Rodgers makes this decision. Yeah, And even though reports have come out saying that Russell Wilson is likely going to stay in Seattle, I still am not so sure about that one. After a couple seasons of him being really public about his desire to get out of there, I can imagine that Seattle has probably asked around about different packages for him. And if you, if you make it known, whether it's through your agent or not, the destinations where you want to be considered to go or that you think are desirable for you to go, you are planning an exit strategy. So I don't I don't know that that one's off the table. And then you have the Kirk Cousins and the so, Jimmy Garoppolo's. There's there's a few tiers of quarterbacks you need to get through before a team could really sell their fan base to Mitchell Trubisky. Could Seattle take on a Mitchell Trubisky if they get rid of Wilson? That would be an interesting landing spot for him because they'd be in a completely different place as as an organization, as a franchise, if Russell Wilson is gone. And Shane Waldron wants to run. He's a, he's a McVay disciple. He wants to run the ball first. The Saints, would you rather bring back Jameis Winston, who got off to a good start before he was hurt, or bring in a guy like, and this is with Pete, I think Pete Carmichael is his first name, uh, their offensive coordinator who's been around. W- would you rather have Jameis or would you rather have Trubisky? Even though Jameis looked better at times this past season, I think I know who Jameis Winston is. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I know who he is as a player. And I would rather take a chance on someone like Mitchell Trubisky, who has been in a successful organization like Buffalo, hearing what the coaching staff has to say about him, what Josh Allen has to say about him. I would rather gamble on somebody that might have been in a bad situation but has some talent than go back to a known commodity that I know is not probably going to be what I need him to be. Let me throw one other team out for you because I don't know what they're going to do. And perhaps you set it up as a competition competition between Trubisky and somebody else. But what about the Colts? Mm, The Colts. Carson Wentz on the way out. He wouldn't be my first option, but he could be a pretty solid number two option there. Yeah, just let him compete for the job. I think you made the point uh, last week when we were talking about quarterbacks, though, Colts do seem kind of like a team who, who if they're gonna if they're gonna go for somebody over Wentz, you, it seems like they would inherently 
needed for it to be an improvement, not like a gamble or a risk. Because, you know, I throw out, maybe, you know, is Tua maybe there after the, my, the Dolphins get a new one? Mm-hmm. And it just really does seem like if you're Indianapolis, you don't want to squander an incredible defense and a very good overall offense right now on Mitchell Trubisky, you know, uh, what do you call it? Not rehabilitating. Habilitating. There you go. Yeah. But the other problem that you have if you're the Colts is that you gave up assets to get Wentz, mm-hmm. so you have a limited number of assets available. For sure. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up next, we are going to bring up what's on tap for you today here on 101 ESPN, and we're going to give away some Arch Madness tickets as well. Stick around. It's coming your way down the stretch with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, we need you to text in and texture number 50 in honor of Jordan Bennington. Nice. With the phrase that pays, we'll get a set of tickets to a session of your choice for the State Farm Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament, Arch Madness. Texture number 50 with the phrase that pays. Michelle, it's unfair of us to judge people based upon things that we hear or read, pro pro athletes, to determine whether or not they're good people. I have determined, however that Zion Williamson is not good people. And I think he's stealing money from the Pelicans. He doesn't appear to want to play. He hasn't been around the team all year. Claims that he has a foot injury. But everybody in basketball seems to think that he's just going to sit out until he becomes a free agent and moves on to the next team and is actually going to steal four years worth of money from the Pelicans. When you're someone like Zion, who was clearly the best player in college basketball, and you're someone that could do whatever you wanted because of your talent, why would we expect him to be any different? Why would we expect him to love the game and want to play at all costs just because that's what we want from him. I just expect people to be honorable. I'm, I understand where you're coming from, but I always try to think about that person. And if I had been in an environment where I had been emboldened to literally do whatever I wanted because of my talent, why wouldn't I think that I could then take that to the next chapter of my life and do whatever I wanted because of my talent and get the desired outcome? Not saying that I would personally do it, but it's it's just a product of who he is in the environment that he's been in. Now, the Pelicans sent out a 2022-2023 email flyer that said, led by new head coach Willie Green and players Brandon Ingram, Jonas Vasilinas, and C.J. McCollum, no Zion, the Pelicans are building something special across the street from Caesar Superdome. And with their best ever season ticket package now on sale, there's never been a better time to lock in. Join the squad and no mention of Zion Williamson. So J.J. Redick, former Pelican, former teammate of Zion Williamson, was on ESPN's first take yesterday. Something. I, actually, this is, this is a little bit insane to me. Um, there's a general uh, sort of Decor, decorum of behavior that you should apply as a teammate. Look, I, I wasn't the best player on any team I was on. But if there was a, a buyout possibility, if there was a trade possibility, I would always reach out to team. I, I called Ursan Ilyasova. I called Marco. I called Wes Matthews trying to get him to come to Philly. Like, this just shows a complete lack of investment in your team, in the organization, in the city, I get that he's hurt and away from the team, but you just traded for one of the 50 best players in the league, a guy that's supposed to be paired with you. Reach out and say hello. 
I, I, I'm, I'm, this is a pattern of behavior with Zion that we are seeing again and again. And look, I was his teammate. I can describe him as a detached teammate. That, that, is, that is an accurate statement. This is just, this is basic, basic level of humanity being a teammate. Send a text. Yeah, when C.J. McCollum is being asked during the NBA All-Star festivities about Zion, and he's like, I haven't heard from him. I know as much as you do right now. Mm-hmm. The fact that that has to be said publicly in order for Zion to then reach out, I think shows you the level of detachment that we're at with him. And whether it's immaturity or whether it is just being a bad guy, either one is a real negative for the Pelicans who use the first pick in the draft and all the money that goes with the first pick in the NBA draft on Zion Williamson. And it would appear they're going to get nothing out of him. And it looks like with the letter, the email sent to season ticket holders, like they're preparing to move on from Zion Williamson really quickly. Talent always plays. But if you're another organization, what do you think the appetite is out there for Zion? If you are... The Knicks, for example, which is apparently where he wants to go. And you sign Julius Randle to that big contract, and he's been an abject failure this year. Do you want to roll? And by the way, your coach doesn't appear like Cam Reddish either, the other Duke guy you just traded for. Do you want to roll the dice on Zion Williamson? For anybody who gets that guy, I'm assuming that he doesn't want to compete. I I can only assume that, too, and maybe that's an incorrect assumption, but we can only operate with what he's given us. And right now, it does not seem like he is uh, dying to get out there and compete or that he loves the game. And it's really sad because for one year, a lot of people thought that he was as good a college basketball player, as good a freshman basketball player as they had ever seen. We were talking about, is he going to be the next great player after LeBron? LeBron? Yeah. Are we going to be talking about Zion in the same conversation as LeBron? And I mean, there's people that don't like LeBron for one reason or another, but you can never question LeBron's dedication to the game or his desire to get out there and perform for his teammates and for his legacy and for the franchise that employs him. And that's why I... I shouldn't say he's a bad guy, even though I just did, because I think he's stealing money. But I also, because he's big and strong and good, I shouldn't expect him to be fully invested in basketball. But I should expect him, if he signed on the dotted line, to be committed enough to his franchise to engage the franchise and the franchise's employees. You mentioned an important word, which is maturity, and Mm -hmm. an immaturity thing. A lot of these players who have been very good at their chosen sport and have been essentially surrounded in a bubble by people that know that they're getting to the next level and that have coddled them or protected them for that long don't really get a chance to grow up. They don't have the, the same emotional struggles that we do because there's always someone there that's going to clean up the mess for them because of their talent. And I wonder how many of these guys that have been in that position that get to the N- NBA truly are that immature, and mm. we just don't see it. It's right. not in the public the way, the way it is with Zion, because you're almost forced to grow up once you get to the NBA. I know you still have a lot of those people around you, but you're on a completely different playing field, and you're around people, your teammates, your peers now are older than you and expect a different level of output and maturity from you. But this thing with Zion, I think a lot of it probably does boil down to maturity. Michelle, what was the phrase that pays? Play Gloria in honor of the Blues and Jordan Bennington with a 4-1 to victory over the Flyers last night. And I believe we do have a Play Gloria winner. We have the Balloon Party with Tim McKernan coming up here on 101 ESPN. Great job today by our producer-engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocchio. Thank you. Pleasure. Michelle, <laughs> this was great. A, a great hump day. It was a great hump day. See you tomorrow. <laughs>
I, I get it. Uh, and for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.